0: Welcome back to the BMX in our blood. The music you're listening to in the background is called Under the Parisian Sky by Edith Biaf. It was a selection of Garrett Burns that he asked that I use and I couldn't agree more. It definitely represents some of his world travel and interest in other cultures. So hopefully you will enjoy part one as much as I did. It's so, so good. Lots of information and just great stories. Garrett is a great storyteller, and I'm sure you'll agree after you listen to this. So part two will be next week, and that will include all of your questions. There are so many of them, and they were all so good. So enjoy, and have a great week. that's really impressive there's a couple guys that i follow that every day you could you could see they post something that's just totally creative it just makes you think wow there's so much more you can do Which, you know so much out there yeah yeah it's 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 awesome so welcome to the bmx nerd blood and i'm gonna do this intentionally because i've got a story behind this but i'm with garrett burns slash reynolds
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: and i'll tell you why i am with garrett burns I have to confess, I don't know if you remember, I'm like, hey, I think I met you in New York City at this Austin Hoggy Jam. And so me being the guy that's filling in a gap from when I wasn't in BMX for a bit, from the late 90s till uh, 2014, 15, all this stuff happened. You know, a lot happened. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I messaged you and, you and you're like, it's possible, you know, I don't remember being there, but it's possible we met somewhere. Sure enough, I was talking about Garrett Reynolds, <laughs> so, so I was like, I felt like such an ass, but, uh, but anyway, it it turned out that obviously Garrett and Garrett and you're both really good and you're both amazing bike riders and I just got my Garretts mixed up. So anyway, we did not meet in yeah in in uh, now this Manhattan. is the first
2: first time <laughs> and uh, I've been mistaken for Garrett Reynolds a few times and uh, I'm definitely flattered by that Uh but uh, it's funny because I met my girlfriend like five years ago
1: Uh
2: at a coffee shop our kids had met and it brought us together and we had met she realized I was a single dad and she was a single mom and we were like oh let's have a play date and we got together and um, I said yeah you know I used to, to ride bikes professionally and she looked me up on the internet just to make sure I wasn't like some like date rapist or something like right going out on a date with her right and um pretty much garrett reynolds all his information came up when she googled garrett bmx and she was like holy shit this guy's a lot younger than what i thought he was and then she's like holy shit this guy's really good he's like wow i might have hit the jackpot here she didn't hit the jackpot she got the the, the low-fat version of garrett and uh yeah she got the explorer that doesn't make any money that doesn't really do anything with his with oh, his life besides exactly what he wants and uh, garrett reynolds is on the opposite end of the spectrum the right. best bike rider that you know bmx right. has probably ever put out in right. uh in history and you know he's uh yeah his his career flourishes don't, like... don't
0: downplay yourself too much come on I know you're being modest, but I know Garrett's awesome. There's no doubt. No, Garrett's unbelievable. Watching that that Vans, um, who was it, that Vans Street comp they had recently at the Vans Park? Wasn't he the one that did that? uh, He did that rail. He did the, uh, he manualed the rail. What do you call that? stuck for
2: words. Uh, I think...
0: When you, man, when Ridicu- you tire Ridiculous ride.
2: Ridiculous is probably the most <laughs> yeah. suitable name for it. Right. Now, but, Garrett's but like, was... I've seen him come up since he was probably like 12, 13 years old. Yeah. Through the skate parks, because he used to ride Tom's River Skate Park, which we had a huge part in when we were younger. Right. And um, Lakewood Skate Park, and just seeing those guys, seeing all those guys come up, um, Garrett especially, because he... Pretty much marched the beat of his own drummer. He would ride exactly the way he wanted to ride, and he was a park kid. When he first started riding, he was a total park kid. All he rode was skate parks, and he rode extremely well. Like he just rode really good. He was a really small kid. His bike was always really big, always had a huge smile on his face. Yeah. And then he just found street at like the perfect time, and everything aligned. He just took off. And, I mean, to this day, I think Garrett Reynolds and Van Homan, the two of them, they're perfect compliments to street riding, because Van pushes things to the end with the craziest, like, death-defying feats in street riding, and then Garrett has the most technical riding that there's ever been. Like, you watch him ride, and it make, he makes it look so easy, but he's... He's, he's accomplished more on a bike than I think anybody ever has streetwise. Really? more first for sure because I mm-hmm. see him ride things and I'm like everything he does every time he puts something up every video part you didn't think any of that stuff was possible 720 down a set of stairs there's no way right. Like I grew up trying 720s on dirt jumps and I never ever pulled one and a lot of my friends never pulled them he uh-huh. did a 720 down a set of stairs. That's unreal. Just a drop. Just a drop. It's just, right. he, there's so much talent there. It's yeah. unreal.
0: Well, the good thing is I can compare you guys in a positive way because he's super nice. He's just a really nice guy.
2: No, he is a great guy. Totally
0: down to earth and was stopping by that, that jam that Austin all oh, you put on and was just saying hi to people and had to head out to get somewhere, I think in New Jersey for, for a family family event that was going on but he was just making time to stop by and just yeah generous great. guy with his time nice great guy all around yeah yeah <laughs> so it at least you share you are more similar than than I realized so uh so I'll forgive myself for that mistake <laughs> but anyway it was funny I, I thought about that I said I gotta fess up I, I gotta tell Garrett Burns <laughs> that I was thinking of the wrong person but um obviously a lot of people know what you've done and and everything about you but could you just give me like a synopsis of the keeping it kind of simple of your kind of your bmx career because you started in the 90s back when i was racing right you were doing egg harbor all that type of thing
2: yeah i mean i i started riding when i was like probably two three years old and started on you know some little piece of crap plastic bike and started jumping things and then went to a bigger bike had like this weird little 16-inch bike with a banana seat and like 84 and I was trying to you know jump things and more or less I used it as a vessel to get far far away from reality even at a young age like when I was four or five years old I would ride my mom would be like stay on the block I would ride a mile away and just disappear, get lost, and just be like, holy shit, I don't even know where I am, and I'd be in the woods, I'd just be totally away from everything at four or five years old, and my mom would like freak out, she'd get in the van, we had this like Ford Econoline old shag style 80s van
0: yeah. with
2: like these big seats, that had a skylight in it, she'd up, She'd drive around with the side door open. and. The, side, the sliding side door and she'd be driving around <laughs> screaming out the door like where the fuck is this kid screaming for me so I would know as soon as I'd hear her screaming I'd be like oh shit I'd take the back side of the block around her go back home and like I don't even know where you're where you looking for me over there I was on the same block I was just on the opposite side of the street just totally from a young age I mean that was just it I just wanted to be out and I used my bike to get as far as I could, away from everything else, just to explore, right? go places I've never been before. Yeah. And as I got older, I started, like, jumping, and my family never had a ton of money, so I always had these rickety-ass, pieced-together bikes that I would trade things, and I would always try to, to figure out a way to get a halfway decent bike, but half the time I would ride other kids' bikes at the trails, or... We would always build trails. I started building trails when I was probably, like, six, seven years old. Every corner, because we lived, like, in the Pine Barrens, every corner of all our streets, we, a lot of the streets were dirt back then, mm-hmm. and um, a lot, all the corners had these, these jumps, and we would make rhythm sections, and these little jumps, even just, like, evil Knievel-style kicker jumps, like... To flat. To flat, and right. we would just have these little rollers, and just... Anytime there was dirt dump somewhere in our town, Uh I knew about it within 24 hours. And I would turn these jumps. I would turn the hills of dirt into jumps. Uh Like pretty much every housing development in our area, which was only one that really came to be. the, the, The supervisor of the housing development knew me because I was there. Every time there was a new pile of dirt, I was there. And I was packing it in, and I'd make a jump out of it, and that was from when I was 8 to 10 to 12 years old, like, always, always. I can never, like, I can never, I can't even put into words, like, how many times I was kicked out, they would bring a bulldozer in, just knock the stuff down that I made, over and over again. And they could never get rid of me because I just had it. I was like, I'm just going to keep rebuilding. I don't care. Yeah. And I just did that every day. And I liked building as much as I liked riding
0: because
2: yeah. it was just, it was freeing. And right. there wasn't a ton of people around me doing it. I was, half the time I was by myself. Right. So I was doing that through, you know, 10, 12 years old. And then um, I had seen a few people around town with like number plates and I I was like, oh, racing looks so cool, seeing Rad, the movie, Sure. and just knowing that it was out there, but didn't know how to really get there and get into that, more or less get into, I didn't know where a track was. I didn't know anybody who raced. I'd see a kid with a number plate, and I'd be like, number plates are so sick. Like, you'd see the pad, the pad set and the number plate on a bike, and you just knew, like, it was fun. Yeah. And I just wanted to get to that so bad, and one of my mom's friends, her son raced, and they, she pretty much asked, asked the guy, hey, do you think you could take my son to a race with you? He really likes BMX.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And the guy, I think he was only eighteen, nineteen. His name was Tom Jones. He's actually a chiropractor now in town, pretty, pretty reputable chiropractor and uh, sports therapist. Mm-hmm. And back then, he said, you know what? Yeah. I have an extra bike. He can come with me, no problem. So we got in his Ford pickup truck, or uh, no, Toyota pickup truck. I'll never forget it because he threw his bikes in the back, and we drove down to Egg Harbor, and I think I was 12, so it was like 92, 93, right right in there. And um, I never really, I'd been with my sister and a few few of her friends, but he was like 18, 19 years old. He was like a badass guy at 18, and he had this Toyota pickup that was just like, beat up 80s Toyota pickup which was like the sickest truck I love that truck
1: Yeah.
2: and um, we did like 80 miles an hour down the whole you know the the truck was pretty much shaken the whole time it felt like parts were falling off and the toll booths were coming up and I was like oh man like I was like how like this is this is really cool like I'm out like kind of getting older here hanging out with the older guy here had like this long hair was all pulled back I was like this is sick we're coming up to a toll booth and I'm like, Man, he's not slowing down and I'm like, Holy shit, we're doing like eighty miles an hour and he goes, When you get when you get older you realize like you get to do fun stuff like this and we went through a toll booth at like eighty miles an hour and I was like it wasn't eighty, it was probably sixty, but still I was like, Holy shit, I was like, Oh fuck, yeah. Wow. So like from from the early age I was just kinda like, All right, here's how it goes. Like when you wanna do something, you just go for it, like if you don't want to pay the toll, right. you don't just go through it and just wave. You go through it at 60. If you're not going to pay the toll, you make it worth it. Like, and I just started laughing like I was like this is like looking back on it, I I was just like holy shit. Like half scared, right. but half like okay, right. I kind of get this. This yeah. is like a I get this. This is this is cool. <laughs> so we went to the racetrack and like the racetrack blew me away cuz I'd never yeah. seen a racetrack in my life. Right. And the gate He had um, a TNT XL with Fred's bars, TNT Revolver hubs. I'll never forget the bike because I rode his bike for two races and I saved up my money and – Got that exact bike with Fred's bars, a Cyclecraft Fred's bars, like to copy Tom, to copy Tom, like the exact same setup because I loved his bike. Because I rode Mm -hmm. it and I was like, This bike's perfect. Like, any bike would have been perfect for me. I was riding complete shit. Yeah. So, any bike would have been fine for me. (laughs) Right. It was awesome. Like, it was just perfect. And it, I mean, I had this, I, to rewind for a second, I mean, I had this bike. My parents brought me out to the bike shop and they said, You can get any bike you want. So I chose uh, um, a Fred Blood, General Fred Blood. General's like East Coast company. Like. Yeah, yeah. I General's remember. were super popular freestyle, but I chose the Fred Blood. Fred Blood was more like a flatlander, wasn't much of a sure. ramp rider, right. wasn't the best rider. He was more of a showman. Right. His name got out there. Like, But I chose his bike. The bike was the worst possible bike I could have ever chosen. It was pretty much a flatland bike, and that was my dirt jumping bike. Oh, my God. So, like, I chose that bike. I had it for, like, maybe three months. I left it in the back of my dad's pickup. It got stolen. Uh-huh. And I was back to the shitty bikes again. <laughs> I was back to the, the same old bikes because my parents were like, okay, we tried the bike. Right. It got stolen. Right. Now you're over it. Like, we're not getting you the bike man." So, I went to the bike, like, to, to get back to Tom Jones. Yeah. I rode his bike. I was like, this is the best thing ever. Jumping, having fun. Met a ton of people. Um. I saw Dave Pawson for the first time. Mm-hmm. I saw him there. The um,
0: Luden, all those guys. Luden, right. the
2: Vanderhoffs. They wrote, They ran the track back then. Sure. Um, Kevin Baldwin, who, like, these were all, like, the Dirt Jumper guys. You mm-hmm. know, blue hair, big shorts, XL shirts. Like, that was his style back then. And oh, yeah. I saw these guys, and I was like, holy shit, this is, like this is it. This is what I want. I want like what these guys have. They come to the races, they do, you know, knack knacks over the jumps, everybody like cheers or like these guys are badass. It wasn't about racing and winning, right. which my parents never realized that, that I wanted to emulate these guys when I started racing. Right. So. My parents get me the bike. I get a T and T XL. Uh-huh. I'm 14 years old. I'm five five foot. I get a T and T XL, 21, 21 inch top tube. Yeah. yeah, 21 yeah. inch top tube, <laughs> and um, all all like the the parts that I wanted. So I have this complete race bike, and I just started racing, and I started racing as much as I could, mm-hmm. and I loved it. Like I wanted to just I wanted to go ride, I wanted to ride the track, and I had some decent results. Uh-huh. The best... You know, I, I might have won a few motos, like, in my lifetime. Right. But to go there for practice and after the race, that was what I was there for. I didn't give a shit about the races. I wanted to jump. I wanted to hang out with all my friends. And I wanted to be in that social network of BMX. Like, that was the most important thing for me at that time. And I just could not... I'd go home and I would miss it. I couldn't actually I couldn't recreate that in my neighborhood and that was really tough for me because like you talk to Van, you talk to anybody, you try to recreate those race settings in your neighborhood. You create a racetrack in the woods. You try to build all your jumps. You have your friends with all their bikes because they see your bike they want to get it. So next thing you knew people are getting power lights, elves, um Auburn's, like everybody around town had these race bikes right. so we make these dirt jumps and then we would all go out and jump and it just was such a cool point in time because everybody wanted the same thing everybody wanted to just have fun and jump and we built our trails and I don't know, I, I think about those times and I love right now because I feel the same way
1: mm-hmm.
2: at 38 I feel the same as when I was 15 because I ride for myself and I ride for Exactly the reasons that I want to ride and if I don't want to ride one day I don't ride right, but usually that makes me want to ride twice as much the next day Mm -hmm. The day after the day. I don't want to ride so I just I know that right and it just it's so cool Just going back and forth memory lane you get to those those places and you're like holy shit when I was 15 I knew everything like it was so pure like it was like the most basic thing you just wanted to have fun Mm -hmm. and ride your bike and enjoy life and now from 15 to 38 there was so much bullshit in between right good bullshit and bad bullshit right a lot of bad bullshit a lot of good bullshit (laughs) but now at 38 i'm into the exact same place that i was when i was 15. What would you say your combination is now? No, I mean, I ride, I ride everything. It's like, similar. I literally ride everything. So, like, from 15, we built our trails. Then we we understood that, like, okay, street riding was a thing. Mm-hmm. You'd read BMX Plus. I read BMX Plus for the first time in my elementary school library. They had, like, BMX Plus in the library. Right. So you'd go in the library, pick up BMX Plus, you'd flip through it, and you would see the newest bikes, what was coming out. You'd see all the people that I'm friends with now riding these bikes and testing them and and doing whatever. And you're just like, holy shit, like this is this is really cool. Like you'd see Wilkerson, you know, riding a vert ramp, or you'd see Hoffman doing a fakie like five feet out, a Superman fakie, or things that you never thought were, were possible. And we were like, okay, so this is another thing. There's ramp riding. There's street riding. Let's build a ramp. So we went to my friend TJ's house and uh, built a ramp in his house. Yeah. This is my friend TJ Rusimano. He lived like two blocks from me, and we always like we were always together, always riding. It was me, TJ. Um, these are like the younger years, like super young, like twelve to like fourteen, even even earlier. Mm-hmm. But um, me, my friend TJ. Brad Gethard, who still rides to this day and rode for Eastern, rode all over, I, I honestly think like Brad is probably one of the best bike riders to this day I've ever seen ride. Brad and John Jennings, like mm-hmm. these two guys um, I grew up riding with, I was so fortunate to have them in my life because they taught me a lot riding wise, but taught me a lot nine riding wise because they were always there and always willing to put in work. And uh, sorry, I'm jumping around, but I have so so many awesome like so many awesome feelings from this time because yeah. it's just there was always something going on. It's like okay, we want to build this ramp, so me and TJ and Brad and a handful of guys from town f- need figure out we need wood. We need like two thousand dollars in wood, so we're like okay, like none of us have money. Right? How the hell are we going to get this this wood? So we're like, okay, there's a bunch of houses going up in the neighborhood. We're going to borrow some wood. <laughs> so we, we make this cart out of, like, hand trucks, and we go and we pretty much unload. It was probably a leaf of – a leaf, probably 100 sheets of plywood. Literally, we unload half half – half the leaf of plywood mm-hmm. and take every 2 by 4 from this work site. Oh, and I feel bad for to this day right, because right. we didn't know it was stealing. Well, we yeah. did, but we didn't care. Right. But I mean, at the time we were just kids. Yeah. So we're like, okay, here's the deal, we'll take the wood, we have to get it into a ramp form as fast as possible, Right. with no scrap, get rid of everything. So like for me, I have no, I've never learned how to build anything. Because my dad, if he couldn't do it with an excavator or a chainsaw, he wasn't doing it. (laughs) Like, that's his extent of, like, building is taking shit down with a chainsaw.
0: Right.
2: Like, for some reason, he was terrified of a circular saw or any kind of saw besides a chainsaw, which is just bizarre because it's so ass-backwards. But that's just (laughs) the way he is as a person sometimes. And um, we're like, okay, we need to figure out a way to make this ramp happen. We got the wood. We took the wood. We start building and we had a friend that worked at the bike shop and we're like okay we need to we need to figure out how to actually build a ramp because we don't even know how to build a ramp and we asked this guy we're like how how do you build a ramp and he's like well you take this you draw it out here's how you draw a radius he's like if you're gonna build an eight-foot ramp you need to do this and that and we're like okay we'll do eight foot eight-foot ramp sounds sounds good so we build an eight-foot ramp we, we traced the radius. I don't know if it was traced wrong or not, but we built an eight-foot ramp with just about a foot of vert on it, uh-huh. which anybody that knows any, anything with transitions, a foot of vert on an eight-foot ramp, usually there's a foot of ramp on a 10-foot vert ramp or 11-foot vert ramp. It's a steep ramp. So this was our learning curve. This was uh-huh. our first ramp that we would go to TJ's house before school, after school. We would ride it every day. So much fun. Learn to air, learn to roll in. Never forget being up on the deck. Chest protector, full face, knee pads, elbow pads. All right, guys, I'm rolling in. They're like, holy shit, you're going to roll in? Nobody's ever rolled in before. I'm like, "Okay, we're going to roll in. Here we go. And I just get some speed, straight on. Just roll straight in. Straight to flat. Yeah! Screaming, I was like, I rolled in full face, have like this Moto five Bell helmet, (laughs) chest protector. As far as I was concerned, I was like, I rolled in. That was perfect. I never realized you had to roll, you know, with the coping and and go in smooth. I was like, (laughs) I started at the top. I wanted to end up at the bottom. I just figured I would make it work. So that was yeah. And I was like, okay. (laughs) So I rolled in. So we have to figure out how to fly out. We have to figure out how to do airs and stuff. Because back then, we, weren't, we would watch videos occasionally, right. but you're watching a video like Style Cats or Head First or anything like that, and we're just learning how to ride a ramp. And you're watching Hoffman do 540s or 900s or flares, and you're like, there's no in-between. Mm-hmm. Now you can go on YouTube or whatever, and there's, you can figure out whatever you want. Right. you'd be like oh how do I do this you can look it up and figure out how to do it back then you were just like okay here we go we have to figure it out as we go yeah.
0: the only way you could do it is by sequential, uh, sequential by experience. pictures by yeah. experience In magazine or experience Yeah,
2: because yeah. you're yeah. like okay here we go like, we're going to try it right. and if it doesn't work we got to try some other way because like, this shit doesn't work <laughs> like. and the, the memories I have of that ramp were that was the ramp I learned to do airs on Mm -hmm. that was the ramp that I learned to roll in on peg stall but everybody in the neighborhood learned it at that time everybody had bikes and that was our thing after work we would go there we would watch a video we would go ride afterwards
0: try to emulate what you yeah and we
2: all skated too we skated at the same time we rode so we're skating too yeah and everybody skated too so we're all skating and riding at the same time so we would learn like 50 50 on a skateboard learn 50 50 on a bike and we just go back and forth and we try stuff and it was really? such a cool time because it wasn't like hey you just do this or you just do this it was like do everything i mean i can remember getting on rollerblades on the ramp and i was like trying to rollerblade and they were like wacky ass like ice hockey rollerblades with yeah. the stoppers on them yeah. and we we're like well this is a thing like you know i think you could rollerblade on this And then we're like, well, maybe we shouldn't do that. Maybe we'll stick to skateboarding and bike riding. But it was just funny, like, you try everything when you're a kid, and that's so it's such a cool thing about being a kid. You're just lighthearted and you're like, let's just try it. Like there's no bullshit of like we can't do this because this person says we can, or this person says we can. Right. It's it's a cool thing. Um, so that that's like probably towards age Fourteen, That was just about mid That was probably 5th grade to like 7th grade We cut that ramp down from 8 foot to 6 foot Turned it into a mini ramp Started doing airs more Started doing a lot more um, grinds and stuff like that mm-hmm. At the same time we were building trails We started building trails at Jennings House When I think I was 15 That was 95 So we started building those trails They're still there to this day um, Ronnie Brown and a, a handful of guys keep those trails going which are great trails big as hell now like everything's like Where six is it? eight feet tall where's it? um it's in Bayville they call them area 51 trails oh, okay. But okay they've been going ever since 95 that's when we felt built the first jumps back there mm-hmm. um so that was like ramp riding we'd ramp ride in town we'd have the trails and then go out and ride street I um, went to Tom's River High School South. That kept me in town. I'm bouncing around a lot in like two or three years, but I mean this was all in that like two or three years from age probably 13 to 16 was when we started riding everything. It was riding ramp, street, dirt, all at the same time.
0: And you're starting to travel and ride other people's ramps, other
2: we would ride we would ride to Tom's River there was a scene in Tom's River um, George Horning who was a super super pivotal person in my life because he introduced me to vert ramps he had a vert ramp in his backyard and that was the first time I'd ever gone to a vert ramp Mm -hmm. and watching him ride for the first time was just that was seeing I mean he was a professional vert rider then that wasn't professional like he wasn't going to all the contests and doing all this he was doing all the same tricks as contest riders in a venue that was his backyard and if you ever heard any stories about George you have to like I'll let you, I'll let you in on a few because George is probably one of I hold him in a really high esteem and everybody that knows him holds him at that same esteem because he's willing to put it all on the line from a young age. He was doing 900s when everybody else was doing 900s in the 90s. He could figure it out. He's like, I could just do it. He won't tell you this. Mm -hmm. You'll hear this from other people because he's the most humble person. Right. He's like, I could do the 900, but my foot keeps blowing off. So he taped his feet to his pedals. (laughs) To do a 900 and he was doing 900s at like five six feet out. He wasn't doing them at Copan So to think about this this was a vert rider on a backyard ramp Not asking for anything from anybody not shooting photos with anybody To find footage of him would be really tough But to see the first time I ever went to his house I watched him ride and see him going eight foot on a vert ramp. I'd never seen that before that was just it blew my mind and I was like holy shit like this is another thing so we have dirt riding right. street riding mm-hmm. this vert ramp which I have to figure out like this is just a whole nother thing that's a whole nother league yeah and uh, there's still dirt too which is like my most passionate thing that right. like I love like any anytime I would be somewhere I'd see a whole dirt I'd pack it in make a sure. jump right and uh, it was just it's I don't know. I I get emotional because like we talk about it and you're just like and anybody that lived it mm-hmm. Gets emotional about it because it's just such a huge part of your life and it makes you so happy and I just think about somebody like George who was willing to Build a ramp in his backyard he had a handful of people from times river area that this was before all the skate parks opened and everything that was happening there was a lineage in, in the area through, um, I don't know if you're ever familiar, like the Cherry Hill Skate Park in the 80s. No, not that one. And there was a lot of New Jersey skate parks from the 80s mm-hmm. that were just like, if you look them up, anybody who's listened to this, look them up. Look up 80s skate parks from New Jersey.
1: Uh-huh.
2: And the stuff we had in the 80s here, we knew back then what was going to be fun now. Really? It's a shame that we knocked them all down Right. and we destroyed all of them and right. buried them, right. but we had some really monumental places here back mm-hmm. then. And I look at them now and I wish I could recreate some of them.
0: And all this because you guys were all just passionate about it, not looking for anything more than just the joy of it.
2: We did not give a shit about any recognition mm-hmm. any time. And honestly I can, I can say Up to 15, 16 years old, the recognition we wanted was our peers. Like, I would get the most shit from Brad, from TJ, from our crew, because my fucking big mouth would open up and be like, yo, let's do this. And they'd be like, I I had a bit of a reputation of saying things, and they're like, okay, back it up. Right let's see it and I was just like okay like I think that got me in a lot of the situations that I've been to to -hmm. this day I open up my mouth and I say I want to see if this is possible and all my friends know me they know if they say okay let's see it they're gonna see it because from when I was a kid they're like okay I want to figure out if I can jump from here to here Mm -hmm. they're like all right do it they're like you you're not gonna do it because you're you're a pussy and I'm like, fuck. I was like, I'm not a fucking pussy. I'm going to show these guys. I'm going to show them. I'm going to show them that I can do it. And sure enough, I would do it. And I would either get seriously broken beyond repair sometimes. Just coming back to my house and my face and uh, broken noses and mm-hmm. stitches all over my face. And But I would always go for it because I was like, you know what? Like... Yeah. this is like I want to show them that I can do it right and now I realize that it wasn't showing them because showing them on the outside right. was one thing but showing myself what was possible that was the most important thing it was showing myself that wow like you love this let's mm-hmm. see if you can do it and like I would push myself to the point the breaking point and that was the total breaking point of like okay this is do or die and it just escalated as I got older and I was like okay like it went from a gap that was 5 feet to 10 feet to 30 feet to you know sky's sky's the limit really these days like you see something you want to try and you want to try it there's not anything that's going to stop you because anything's possible you know as well as I there's things people do on bikes these days that you would never have guessed
0: Sounds like fear almost motivated you.
2: Yeah, I don't know. Um, it's kind of cliche, but I almost didn't care what happened to me from a young age. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of fucked up now that I'm getting older because I have, I deal with, like, I definitely deal with some demons in that area because I don't care about a lot of things especially when, I don't know, it's hard to put myself in a category of saying, like, I'm just this person that feels this way, but I think everybody feels a different way, but bike riders as a whole, especially coming up with somebody like Van or riding with, you know, Dave Mira, Matt Hoffman, Taj, all these guys coming up, and riding contests and realize that you put so much on the line that you don't think about anything else. You don't think about dying, you don't think about a broken arm, a broken leg, concussions, the helmet. You don't think about any of that stuff, especially when you're younger and you realize that it's not everybody that reacts that way, and as you get older, you have to figure out ways to deal with with those those demons because they definitely pop up in a day to day where if you're not pushing yourself to see what's possible you more or less drive yourself to the the place where you're like you know what I don't I don't care I don't care and that's a that's a really tough place because I have to deal with Um, different mental struggles where, you know, I was in some dark places over the last 10 years where I was in a failed marriage. Mm -hmm. Um, Having a son that means more than anything to me pulled a lot of that darkness out of me. Um, But I I understand that you can be the places that BMX takes you on the highs, there's definitely equal low on the other side, and it's there's there's tough there's tough places. I mean, I <laughs> it's I I kind of knew going into this like doing a podcast like mm-hmm. there would be my my life has highs and lows, and I knew that I couldn't hit the highs without the lows, mm-hmm. so I had to kind of touch on the fact that. In the lows, there were times that you're willing to push push it beyond the way a normal person thinks, in the fact that life doesn't matter to you, and I don't know, I, uh, I don't know, It's it's hard to put into words, but there was definitely days where I felt like I couldn't couldn't do it I guess
0: more in the last ten years,
2: yeah, yeah,
0: since Noah was born,
2: yeah well, I mean even before noah was born, mm-hmm. like I was always struggling with certain things, but um is, it, is
0: is it uh sorry for interrupting no is it is it kind of a self worth thing that you're in you you're challenging yourself constantly you don't know how to let go of that
2: no for me, like I have a really I had a low self-esteem when I was a younger kid mm-hmm. because I always was struggling to fit in. Like riding a BMX bike, doing all this stuff, like you're always striving to please other people and show people like, hey, this is what I can do. This is what I can do. This is what I can do to fit in. This is, I can jump this this far. Hey, is is that cool? Like, is, am I cool now? Is this like, you're you're always striving for approval from your friends and your peers. And I always wanted that approval. And then when I did get that approval, it was almost like I realized that it didn't matter. And I got to a certain point in writing that it didn't matter to me anymore what anybody else thought. And I didn't know how to I didn't know how to deal with the fact that I wanted to push things to the edge and I didn't care about dying. I didn't care about hurting myself. I didn't care about, okay, I'm gonna jump this. I could hit my head and be in a wheelchair for the rest of my life. I could, I could, that could be it. But for me, I was like, ah, it's not a big deal. It's no big deal. And that, it brings up so many feelings because my friend TJ that I was talking about earlier, mm-hmm. um, he committed suicide two years ago. A really good friend of mine just mm-hmm. committed suicide two weeks ago, three oh weeks God. ago. I've had nine friends that have committed suicide mm-hmm. in the last 20 years. Wow. So for me, it's I hold it like so close to my heart that it's really important to know yourself inside and out and know how to deal with the highs and lows of life because I... Parallel it with my bike riding, and I'm willing to push anything to the edge. Like two years ago, um, I jumped this this jump in the the mountains in Spain, and it was a do or die type of thing where I was like, okay, like I'm pretty confident I have this, but if I don't, there's good chances is it because it was 40 feet down, and it was a sheer rock face. And if I didn't make it, there was, it was just a gap straight down to the road. And I was like, well, fuck it. I don't care. And my son is here, <laughs> and I'm there. And I just kind of like, it puts things in perspective. Because it's like, what makes me want to push myself to that pinnacle of do or die when I have somebody that depends on me here? And... I ask myself that question a lot, but I always come back to the same answer that if I'm not that close to death, then I can't live. And it makes me feel more alive when I'm super close to To death. To the end of it. Right. And all my friends that I've lost in the last ten years, fifteen years, my first my first friend, Heath. He committed suicide when we were in seventh grade, he hung seventh himself grade. in seventh grade. And the problems you have in seventh grade are not problems. No, you might have mental struggles. I mean, but being the age we are looking back at that now, it's it's such a it's such a shame. And he used to come out to the trails. He would ride with us. He was a good guy and he just had he just had like these these demons mm-hmm. and i understand it and i get it and everybody has their things they struggle with and i struggle with it day to day and i wanted to bring this up especially because i think when you see certain people in the magazine and you see like i don't know you just see you see a, a person For instance, you just pick somebody out of a magazine, and you're like, wow, their life must be amazing. Like, They're traveling, they're doing all this, they're doing that. But that's not the end-all, be-all. Like, The end-all, be-all is being happy where you are, doing exactly what you want.
0: Which is a hard balance to strike. It's a
2: really, really hard balance. And for me, I struggle with it all the time. And I've had highs, I've had lows. Mm -hmm. I've had the lowest low was going through a divorce, not mm-hmm. riding much for two years. I gave up riding because I thought I had to sacrifice that for a work life and being a, a, a husband that was giving 110%. And you cannot give 110% if you're not happy and you're not whole as a person. And for me, BMX was such a huge part of my life from the time I was four years old till that time I gave it up entirely and I said okay I was still riding I was still riding like you know once a week maybe once every two weeks but I just gave up the the network of friends and that network is such a heavy support in who you are as a person and nobody will understand that besides the people that are in it Mm -hmm. I could call Literally a 100 people right now. And they would fly right here if I said I was having a problem. Mm-hmm. And I would do the same for any of them. That's amazing. And not many people have that. And we're really fortunate to have that. But you get lost in the darkness sometimes where, you know, yeah. you I'll never forget. I'll never forget. I was like, I was sitting in my car at the end of a road one night. And I was like, okay. Um,. If I drive my car as fast as I can, I can hit this wall at the end of the ocean at 120 miles an hour.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: That'll kill me on impact, and I'll flip into the ocean. And it's, it's, it's sad to say, yeah. but I had already lived. I've been to 25 countries at that point. I'd seen so much. I'd seen people with nothing. I'd seen people with everything. I'd been flown all over the world. I've stayed at five-star hotels. I've slept on a bench. I've done it all to that point. But to that point, I was so lost in the fact that I just kept myself in this box and I didn't want to talk to anybody. And it felt like I had this weight on my chest to where I couldn't move and I couldn't explain to anybody how I felt that I just felt lost. And I felt like I was in a place that nobody would understand, nobody would take me serious. Mm-hmm. I would I would tell somebody, and they'd be like, "Oh well, that's your that's your struggle. Sorry, that's your problem." And I I was in a a place where I just wanted to end it, and I didn't want to have to deal with anything anymore. And it brings me to dealing with my friends passing, and my friends' suicides, and. Having one friend commit suicide is one thing because you have that that feeling. I had that feeling in seventh grade,
1: mm-hmm. where
2: I realized my friends were, holy shit, this he's not going to be there anymore. He's not there.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And then understanding as you go through, okay, this person killed themselves. This person did this. This person did this. And as you go, like I almost got hardened, and it's sad because like you get hardened to the fact that these people are in the same position that I was in. And I didn't understand it at the time because I was like, well, it's something they're dealing with. It's their problem. They must have had an issue. Everybody has this issue. It's just where you suppress it and how you deal with it and if you can talk about it. And talking about it is the most important thing. And getting out and living a life Mm -hmm. that you can really be proud of and keeping people in your life that are positive role models for you.
0: And they probably need you just as much.
2: And that's just it. And realizing that you have so much to live for. Mm -hmm. And that night, I was sitting in that car, and I realized, like, I said, well, I'm willing to push it so far to the close, like, so far to do things that people, not, not many people would try to do. We understand because we do it. But the normal... If you ran into a person on the road and said, Hey, you're going to jump your your bike. You know, you're going to do a 20-foot air on a mega ramp, or you want to do this or that. It's not within grasp of a normal person. It's somebody that puts in, they're dedicated. They dedicate their life to it. And we dedicate our lives to this. And when you don't understand that it's such a big part of your life, and it has to be a big part of your life, and you just give it up, there's always going to be a hole. And I just realized that at that time, like, it was it was a slow slow process back because it was understanding that i was trapped in a a really bad marriage that was in a a bad place mm-hmm. i got out of that i realized that bike riding and all my friends within bike riding it was a family and that was my my true family my whole life i've had that family i mean i have my family that i've grown up with my my blood family and then i have my my bmx family which is they're on parallel. So they're the same to me. Because Joe, Reuben, Brad, John, JB, Maddie, who's sitting in the next room here, mm-hmm. these, they're my family. Mm-hmm. And it just made me realize that like... And they all get it. They all get it. They all mm-hmm. understand me for who I am. They're not going to be like, you just ditch work for a week to disappear. And it's like, they understand that I'm going through something. That's what I need at that exact moment. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people don't understand, that if you need that, um, Two months ago, I, I got to a place, actually it wasn't two months ago, it was probably a little longer than that. Mm-hmm. I got to a place financially, where I was just like, you know what, I have all these bills every month. And my whole life, I was taught to pay everything as soon as it comes, you can never miss a bill. Never miss anything. Mm-hmm. Everything has to be on time. Everything has to be proper, perfect. And I said, you know what? Fuck it. I'm not gonna pay any bills. I'm not gonna pay anything. For two months I didn't pay any bills. I didn't pay anything. Which is extreme. Perfect for my personality. Right. Because when I'm gonna try something, I'm gonna try it to the to the edge. I'm gonna push it to the edge to see what's possible.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I had the money. The money's sitting in an account. I had right. the money to pay for it. Right. But I just wanted to see, and it was for me. It was a turning point because I got to a place where I saw these bills sitting on the table, and this was such a weight on me. It was such a problem. I have all these these bills. They keep coming. I have to pay for them. Oh my God! What the heck? It was just a huge weight. I didn't pay them. I was like, holy shit, the world didn't end. I'm still going. Just because I didn't pay these bills doesn't mean I thought the world would end. I thought they'd be taking my house. They would take my car. They would take all this. They just sent me another notice the next month. Hey, can you try to pay your your mortgage this month? Right. Because you're late. Right. And I was like, wow, <laughs> holy shit! It took me all this time to realize that like the things that I'm putting so much stress on, and they're driving me to this dark place. Mm-hmm. It's not the end of the world if right. you miss a payment on something. You just make up for it the next month. Mm -hmm. Same as if you miss a day riding. It's a bummer you miss that day. Or you miss a day surfing. But you're going to make up for it in two days from now. Or today. Or right now. You can go outside and ride.
0: Sounds like it taught you how to look forward. Yeah. A lot more forward than you had been. Maybe you were only looking, well no one can see me doing this, but looking as (laughs) far as your, you know, the the hand right in front of your face.
2: And you can't, um, you can say this. It's so hard when you're in that position. It feels like you have an elephant sitting on your chest I can remember laying in bed, and I couldn't raise my arms just because I felt like I had that weight on me And it's just a weight. It's like a physical weight, and you can't explain it unless you actually have it happen to you and it's a depression it's um, It's just it's a really it's a really hard thing and having had being to that point of no return, to where it's like, okay, here we go, do or die, and not pushing the button, because every time in the past I've gotten to that point of do or die, I push the button. I'm like, fuck it, I'm just doing it. I don't care. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna do it. Mm-hmm. And getting to that point and not doing it for the most important decision in my life. That that was the most important decision in my life because it was my life.
0: At that moment.
2: At that moment. Mm-hmm. And understanding, okay. This is it. It made me realize that I need to try to talk to my friends. Talk to the people that I care about. Talk to anybody that I can reach and say, talk to somebody you're close to. Keep your friends closer. Keep your enemies closer. Right. Keep everybody close to you right. and keep this in conversation. It's, not, it's the elephant in the room in BMX.
0: Well, what you find as you get older is there's so many people that are experiencing the same thing, maybe at a different, maybe at a different place in their life. Um, but as we all get into adulthood and maybe with children, maybe without it's a, uh, it, it's a big issue. It's, it's something we're all facing at some level and yours, yours got to the point where it was self-destructive. Yeah. So it, it, and it's, and let me first say, thank God you have friends and thank God you're here today. Yeah. I'm really happy you didn't drive into that wall and flip into the ocean. No,
2: well, I mean, that's that's just, it's, I I try to use that as like, it's, it's just, that was a struggle that I went through, but I want to put it behind me and look into the future because I have so many friends that are going through this. Mm-hmm. This is a really volatile industry in the fact that You get the best experiences of your life in this industry. Mm -hmm. You get to travel. You get to see the world. You get to meet so many people. When you're done with this career as a professional bike rider, there is no severance. There's no no retirement. (laughs) No. Very rarely does somebody finish in the positive. Mm -hmm. You finish usually at a negative. You finish with credit card debt. I always joke that my biggest sponsor in BMX was Chase. Because I put... <laughs> Not hundreds, Chase Bikes. Chase, no. Chase Manhattan. Yeah. Chase. Right. Chase Credit Card Services. Right, because right. I've paid more to them in the last 30 years. Right. Or, yeah. With my parents too, because sure. they put it on their credit cards to get me to the nationals to get me everywhere. Yeah, right. But I'm just saying like, it, I've, I've lived so much in that to where when I came out, I was, fortunately I was at zero. I didn't have any debt. I didn't have any, any money to my name. So I was like, okay, life starts here at 25. I have no college. Fortunately enough, I got into an apprenticeship for operating engineers. Mm-hmm. But it's a dark place. And it's a dark place when you come out of this great life that you've been living. And you've been traveling. And you've been doing all these great things. And you come out. And you just realize like, okay, like the real life starts now. Mm -hmm. And I used to think, I used to almost be like, fuck, you know what? This is such a really tough thing to deal with because you come out and you have to work your ass off for the rest of your life to make it. But we almost get a reverse retirement when when you ride professionally because you have this You have this window into seeing the reality of humanity, and you get to travel to Africa. You get to travel to a lot of third world countries. You get to travel to a lot of first world countries to see everything in black and white and in color of these people have everything, they're not happy. These people don't have anything, and they're happy. Right. So you want to try to hit right in the middle. Mm -hmm. Okay, like, I want to work my ass off. I want to get somewhere that I'm proud of. I want to have a family. I want to get to a place where I can say, okay, this is what, I, this is what I've always wanted. And uh, when, you, when you leave bike riding, I think that's a, a fortunate thing. I, thought, I used to think it was, okay, you finish and you have zero. That, that sucks. For me now, I think it's an awesome thing because you come out and you have that humanity. You have that, that look at, okay, I'm looking. I'm going to start working my ass off. I'm going to get to where I want to be. And I know the potential of the bottom and the top of society. And like, I want to try to find my niche in that and work towards it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what keeps me going now because I, I enjoy having a job. I love going to work every day. And not many people can say that. Believe me, there's days when there's waves or like I want to go ride. My friends are like, "Oh, we're going to ride here." I'm like, "Oh man, I wish I could go do that instead." Right. But when I work my, my my few months straight to take a vacation, I now I I found found a happy medium for myself. I try to work four months, mm-hmm. and I always book my vacations in advance. I booked a trip for, um, two weeks to Spain in September, so I'm going to work my butt off till September, and then I'm going to take that trip. And then I'm gonna work my butt off for another few months. Then I'm gonna take another trip. So I always have something to look forward to. And that's when my life changed, when I found that I always had something to look forward to. And that's, I don't know. And I'm, you I'm, need
0: something to look forward to so you cannot get stuck in that dark place. So if you keep setting a a goal for yourself or leaving this, this area and, and experiencing worldly travel, so setting those goals. One thing I wanted, I I keep, I'm listening, and I and I, I I keep wanting to say, okay, the dark times, I always associate those with expectations because when I'm most depressed, it's because I I feel like I'm not meeting the expectation of whether it be my employer, myself, just uh, things that really aren't, they don't turn out to be meaningful at all those those are expectations i set on myself but no one else did but i put that pressure on myself with that expectation if i changed. see
2: something i want to do i'm going to do it That's but, just it.
0: so does that have anything to do with expectations of yourself at the same time do you feel like you are not for anyone else not for anyone else but are you setting this expectation that if i don't do this i i there's that void and i can't I can't move on until I fill that that void or...
2: No, I just... I get... If I see something and I want it, Mm -hmm. then I'll go to any means possible to get it. And what if you
0: can't? Has that ever happened? If I can?
2: not Oh, yeah, yeah. And and does it
0: get darker then? Yeah,
2: yeah. I mean, that's tough, but I've learned to accept it more now than Mm -hmm. I ever have because it's like some things you're going to get and some things in bike riding it's, I always relate things to bike riding because sure. it's so easy yeah. because it's like okay like this is either going to work today or it's not going to work today maybe today wasn't today maybe it's two weeks from now mm-hmm. maybe it was ten years ago in my in my eyes like take everything for how it is and try to really figure out like okay is this what I really want and I'm trying to live now every day I wake up I take some time for myself I really relax. I meditate, and I'm like, okay. I thank, I thank the powers that be for this day, that I'm alive. But I accept death every single day. My most dangerous thing, per day, every single day, is driving to work. Right. <laughs> I drive on the turnpike. I drive on the parkway. Right. I see I see people die on the parkway all the time. Mm-hmm. And for me. It might sound crazy because I'm talking about death so much Mm -hmm. but in my life I think about death all the time and I have this relationship with death and it's I wake up in the morning and I just I'm so thankful I have so much gratitude for everything that I have everything that I've become and everything that I will be in the future and I just I'm thankful for it and I wake up every morning and i started doing this a few years back and it helps so much so just a... to really be in the now to mm-hmm. understand this moment right now you're never going to get this moment back 5 minutes ago it's past
0: and your awareness of mortality
2: allows you that to live it allows you to really live to i am live. the most fortunate person mm-hmm. like you know everybody is for oh yeah yeah they're lucky in their I their, see their you, life but, yeah. but i mean for me like i i wouldn't change anything in the past mhm and hopefully i can change everything in the future right. that's my plan <laughs> right if i can if i can change one person if i can change you know talking to one person mm-hmm. buying something for a homeless person i bought a pepsi if my girlfriend was making fun of me last night cuz we were at a CVS and a uh, mm-hmm. There was a homeless guy at the door, and I said, Hey, what do you want? I said, I'll I'll grab you something inside. What do you want? And he goes, a Pepsi. And I was like, Fuck. I hate Pepsi. (laughs) I was like, I hate Pepsi. I hate everything it stands for. Right. It destroys you, Mm -hmm. it destroys your insides. Like, I hate it. But you know what? If I can give this guy a moment of happiness, okay.
0: I'll deal with it. I bought him
2: a Snickers bar, (laughs) I bought him a Pepsi. He had a smile. He said, thank you. Oh, you did double. <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, I always, try to, I always try to help everybody that's around. And it's funny, to this day, mm-hmm. I have no money in my pocket. Mm-hmm. I never have money in my pockets. I, I do everything on credit cards or debit cards. Mm-hmm. If I have money in my pocket, I give it away instantly. If it's a 20 if it's a, if it's $50 in my pocket, I give it to whoever's around me because mm-hmm. that's what makes me feel good. So I try not to have too much money on me all the time because I'm always giving it out, uh-huh. but I don't know. I just feel good in service to help other people, and the long short of this whole this whole story of me being in dark times is that if you need help, if you want help, if you don't want help, talk to somebody. talk to me you can you can talk to me any way possible talk to the bike company you're interested in
1: mm-hmm. send
2: out a message if you send out a help signal in this day and age there's a good chance you're going to get reception mm-hmm. especially and I know the, the help signal is the hardest thing because I struggle with that myself because I'm like I don't need any help
0: especially when you're in that place you know, well it's I, like
2: I, you know what I don't need help because I've done everything for myself up mm-hmm. to this moment I don't need help for anything in the future I don't right. need help for anything But then you talk to somebody and you're like, holy shit, I feel a hundred times better. That's just what I needed. I needed to talk to somebody and just for them to tell me that it's going to be okay and things will be fine in the future and things are going to be, this isn't the end of the world that you can't pay this bill this month or that, you know, your kid's having a problem in school today. I got a note that my son was having a problem in school. mm -hmm. I said, okay, one day at a time. This is one day he had a problem today. This isn't saying... Five years from now he's going to be smoking weed in the back of the school with a bunch of bad kids. Mm-hmm. It's today had a hard day. We take this day and we work on it, and then we go to the next day
0: and try not to project
2: yeah, I try not to think too far ahead right because i'm like like everybody we think we think a lot it, it, and, <laughs> and, and that's
0: what's destructive when you think and
2: that's what's destructive yeah when
0: you, that that's absolutely the way of feeling uh can't talk too many, too many details, but roughly speaking, uh, I've been around enough situations of, of depression and, uh, it's normally teenagers up through, not that it can't be after, uh, mid twenties, but it's that whole, my boss actually told me this once in, and. he said, "Keep them alive till 25. Like get that prefrontal cortex developed, so they can, or get to that point where their prefrontal cortex is developed, so they can actually see that there's so much more beyond this this immediate feeling of of I'm worthless. I I don't know what I want to. Do. You know, it's it's depressing. It's in BMX talking about well, you're." what you're talking about it's it's extending that age out as long as that person is let's say relevant Mm -hmm. because being relevant i believe is can be good and bad yeah you know if you don't know how to handle it and fortunately there's people that can really handle it and as we're learning over the over past years it's it doesn't and sometimes if you've been in it that heavy for a while and obviously that's something you identify with
2: and there's so many variables for, sure. for it because I mean a lot of what I went through was it had nothing to do with BMX per se mm-hmm. just the my my coping mechanism had to do it was it was in me from BMX my coping mechanism mechanism was always like okay let's go for it Do or die. And that rolled
0: over to other parts of your life. And
2: that rolled over to everything in my life. Right. When I go out to eat, I'm either like fasting and barely eating like nuts and bananas, Mm -hmm. or I'm eating three dinners. It's like do or die. Like, and anybody that knows me knows that like I'm super health conscious. Yeah. But every once in a while, like, you know, wow, Garrett has a hollow leg. He can eat more (laughs) than like most people his size. But, you know, that's, I try to. To walk that line, and mm-hmm. we all struggle, we go up and down, and right. but it's like you try to walk that line, sure, but you have to you have to accept when you don't follow that line that it's still possible to pull it up or push it down, because yeah, <laughs> suppressing those feelings mm-hmm. is the worst thing possible. You have to share them, share them with everybody, and I learned that now, because suppressing things they take yeah. you to dark places for sure. And have people in your life that understand you're, you're to that, you, you're willing to push things to that extent, mm-hmm. because my, my girlfriend, for instance, understands me. Mm-hmm. She knows how I work, and she knows the fact that I'm not going to be home every day at three o'clock. I'm not going to just go to work nine to five or seven to three in my schedule, mm-hmm. and then I just get home, and it's a normal life. My life has been nothing but normal my whole entire existence on this earth, so it's never going to be normal. And I've accepted that over the last few years. Mm-hmm. If it's sleeping at the floor, sleeping on the floor at my friend's apartment here, because mm-hmm. I want to surf at 4.45 in the morning, right. which I do pretty often,
1: uh-huh.
2: like, you're willing to push it. I'll go out and surf these days, I'll go out and surf for six hours. Nobody wants to surf with me. Because for me, I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna push myself to the point where You know, Mm -hmm. nobody else wants to drive with me. Right. So, like, you don't want to go with him because then you're stuck there for six hours. (laughs) And I'm like, you know what? If I can do it, why not? Right. Like, I'm 38 and I feel better than I did when I was a young kid. I can push myself farther and I'm stronger physically and I'm stronger mentally. And that's always work in progress. Always work in progress.
0: So, safe to say you're in the position now where you can confidently help others now that you've
2: yeah, I mean worked it out I think the people that are in perfect. the worst situations mm-hmm. I think are always available for the most help mm-hmm. because when you talk to somebody that's gone through it or even talk to somebody in their darkest moment talking to a homeless guy Christian last week in Hoboken um, our eyes met I started talking to him I said hey you know like what's, what's your deal And he's like, I've been living on the street for four years now. Um, I have two kids. I got wrapped up in some bad stuff. I had a full time job. I was a longshoreman working on the docks. He goes, I was working overnight shifts. Got wrapped up in drugs. Next thing I know, I couldn't stop alcohol. I saw him again yesterday. I see him again every day. Like I see him. And it just it sucks that like you get just stuck in this nosedive, and it's so hard to pull up from. And I mean, he's an extreme case because he lives on the street and he has a really heavy addiction. Mm-hmm. We have a heavy addiction too. Our lifestyles our addiction. And hopefully bike riders don't get into any heavier stuff because our addiction and the way we live our lives can lead into heavy addiction in anything. Because we have such an addictive personality exactly. to where we're like, okay... I'm gonna dig, I'm gonna build these trails for the next 20 years. Right. I'm gonna ride my bike, I'm gonna ride my bike around the world. I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do that. So it's like, okay, I'm gonna do this drug. I'm gonna do this drug till I'm dead. It's that same addiction. So we carry it to every, every specific place. And it's not talked about, which is a real bummer to me, yeah. because kids growing up should know that, to where you have to be responsible. My grandfather was an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. I knew from a young age. I shouldn't touch alcohol. I had my first drink when I was 22. I drank for two years, probably 10 or 15 times. The last time I drank, I drank myself almost into alcohol poisoning. Laying on the floor, casket style with my arms crossed, looked like I was, uh, you know, like in like Dracula, like right. in the casket. I said, okay, I'll never drink again.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: That was 2004, 2005. Wow. And okay, that's it. I realized, okay, I tried it from 22 to year and a half, two years, just a few times. Last Mm -hmm. time pushed it too far, done. It's in my blood, I understand that, I acknowledge it. Same as with us, it's in our blood. Mm -hmm. So you have to be careful. You have to be careful where you tread. If you drink, if you dabble in drugs or whatever, be careful. Mm -hmm. I won't take pain, pain medication, I won't drink. I won't do any drugs.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: I've been that way since I was a kid. I drank for two years. I've never smoked pot in my life. I've never done a drug. I won't touch pain medication,
1: Mm -hmm.
2: wrist surgery, broken eye socket, broken noses, whatever. Whatever I had, I won't touch it. Mm -hmm. Because for me, I know that it's so close to my lifestyle pushing things to the edge. Stay away from it. Stay away from it.
0: That's... Uh, you're making me reflect too much here. <laughs> because, I mean, I absolutely have an addictive personality. And I've... Whether it's podcasting. Yeah. Whether it's fundraising. Whether it's writing. Trying to feel whole myself. Feel good about. Or whether it be... You know, whether it be family. You know, trying to be the best father. You you're know, never going to be
2: the best at all of it. No. And that's but, the hardest part is accepting... The fact that you're not going to be the best mm-hmm. at all of it, and accepting the fact that you're going to give a hundred percent, not be the best.
1: Mm-hmm. You can
2: still give a hundred percent without being the best.
1: Right. I
2: gave a hundred percent in a lot of things in my life. I was never the best. I rode vert against a lot of the best vert riders. Mm-hmm. I gave the best of what I had. Still wasn't finished tenth place. Right. It's fine. Right. It's fine. It was the best I had. I had a good time. I watched the best riding I could ever see.
0: But you have the, it seems like you have the, expect. I keep bringing back the word expectations because that's the best way I can really explain this in, in relating to what you're talking about. And I know it's not exactly the same, but expectations are the killer.
2: Expectations of yourself. That's what that's I mean. That's the killer. No, no, that is the killer. Yes, that's what I'm talking yeah. about,
0: of yourself. That's, that's the killer. Because, and the hardest
2: part oof. is for me, I never wanted to be conceited in my life. I never wanted to say, like, you know what? I'm the best at what I do. And you know what? For me, I am the best at what I do. Mm-hmm. It might not be bike riding. It might not be surfing. I'm not the best at that. But I'm the best at being the person that I can be on this given day. Mm-hmm. And it's so hard to relate that to somebody, mm-hmm. to make them understand the fact that you're saying that, not saying, I'm the best. I'm the best for, you know, I'm the best in humanity. But I'm the best, your namesake, your name, you're, there's only one of you. What is there, seven and a half billion people on the earth? There's only one of you. So to be the best in the person you can be, that there's only one. So to be the best, you're saying you're the best of that one person.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You're not saying that you're the best of seven billion people.
0: There's no comparison.
2: No. Right. Just be the best you can be, and I will acknowledge that now. And it's mm-hmm. really, even on a podcast right now, mm-hmm. it's hard for me to say that. I'm the best Garrett Burns that I will hopefully be. And I'm gonna work towards being the best that I can be and it's ho- so hard to say that like for me I just struggled uh-huh. saying that just saying that just now right because it's so hard to say I'm the best right. Because for me, I was so used to riding contests and riding all these things that people were like hey Yeah, you have a chance at winning mm-hmm. and I was like fuck that. I have no chance in winning right I was like I'm riding against all these guys that are the best in the world So for me, I would push it back and be like, okay, I'm gonna put on a show that's what I'm going to do. I might not be able to walk at the end of this weekend, <laughs> which the most most contests right. I was in, everybody yeah. will you know, they'll say <laughs> there was a good chance I wasn't walking at the end of a contest because mm-hmm. I would find the biggest gap or I would find the, a showstopper that I would be like, okay, this is something that's going to make me feel so good to do and at the same time is going to really show showcase what I want BMX to be on a large scale to everybody. And that came from watching people like Taj, Mm
1: -hmm.
2: watching people like Colin Winkleman. Mm -hmm. These are guys that got to the point where they weren't worried about winning or losing. They were worried about showing, showcasing their exact ability of getting to that point like, I'm going to do something so big that I'm like, holy shit, I don't know if I can do this. And nobody knows if this is even possible. Then they do it, and then they do it, and it's like holy shit. There's that crazy high. Yeah. Holy shit, that was up. But then oh that wears God. off, and then that wears off, and then you have to really be okay with yourself yeah. and being like, hey, I gave the best to that, and I'm still the best, even if I don't do that, because I can. I can. Taj was a huge part of my life. Mm-hmm. Looking up to him when I was a kid. I'm vegetarian to this day because of him. I read his interview when I was like 15, 16 years old. In ride and like I'd always followed him because he always had his own path and he rode a certain way that nobody else rode so I was always looking up to that and he held himself at a high regard in his riding but he dealt with other things outside of riding Mm -hmm. along with me and probably most other pro riders you know people were willing to admit it or not admit it you deal with a lot of things that especially in competition because there's highs and lows and those highs and lows just carry so much weight on you and I might have won, you know, maybe two or three contests in my lifetime Mm -hmm. got a handful of seconds and thirds Mm -hmm. but I've acknowledged the fact that, okay, I can just do the best for that day and that's it Right.
0: In Coming Down, they covered that that road gap was was that Spain? Where was that?
2: <laughs> funny story or was that, that California? was California. No, that was in Spain. The one like between the two mountains, like over the road. Yes. Yeah, that that's the funny story behind that because um, that's actually in the mountains outside of Malaga in Spain. Okay. Um, there's this this place called El Churo. It's like a mm-hmm. famous mountain climbing spot, and there's mm-hmm. Kings Walk. It's just a really cool section outside of Malaga where Ruben lives. Mm-hmm. and we were driving through the mountains one day and I've had that picture in my head my whole entire life from snowboard jumps and I was like a, but that's totally possible on a bike like a good road jump and I always wanted to do it so we're driving through the mountains and I'm just like, okay, like... And I believe
0: is... this kind of fits with what we're talking about. That's why... I yeah, oh up.
2: no, it totally does. I mean, it's all relevant. Like, everything that sure. we're going to talk about is, is, is me. Like, yes. this is all me. Like, right. this is it. Yeah. So, I mean, if you want to know about a... me, I'll tell you about me. That's it. Like, I'm just oh, going yeah? to... Gonna... <laughs> well, that's what I love.
0: Uh, <laughs> and I appreciate you trusting me with that. And, but this seems to be a really good example you know tying into exactly what you're talking about so go ahead no, I'm sorry for interrupting on that but no
2: no worries so we're driving through the mountains and um it's so scenic out there if you get a chance definitely head out there um i was just explaining that you can get a plane ticket out there for 500 bucks 400 bucks right it's life-changing definitely get out there anywhere in europe anywhere in the world but okay right. back to right right <laughs> i got you back to it So we're driving through, and um, I see, like, this, like, we drive through between those rock faces, and I'm just kind of like, holy shit, that looks like a pretty good road gap. Mm -hmm. I was like, huh, that's pretty cool. I was like, Ruben, pull over. Let's go check it out. And he's like, he, like, rolls his eyes, but he's like, okay, because he, Ruben knows me, and we've been together, like, a long time now. We've traveled a lot, like,
1: Mm -hmm. we're
2: brothers, you know? Right. So... We go up there and like I'm looking at it and I'm like, holy shit! Like this is totally possible, and I'm like, I don't know how
0: you could ever have viewed that from one side of the road and said that's possible. <laughs>
2: no, well, I mean, you just look at something and you just kind of have like this dream, this dream setup, and you always, I always like I'm a photographer, like I've always shot photos too. Besides riding, yeah. So I always have a picture in my head of different dream pictures. I probably have ten or twelve of them, still to this day like bucket list pictures that i want to create oh wow and it's when everything fits right it'll happen Mm -hmm. but it's not something i go out and search for if it happens great so i saw this and i was like wow it almost seems possible like and it was pretty much flat it was a flat gap um for probably about 40 feet in distance so it wasn't super far, but just far enough.
0: You no, know, it looks like forty feet, and that looks far. But there, um, there's no camera trickery going on there. It looks far.
2: So I'm looking at it, and I'm like, "Well, there's kind of a run up, like, but it's like we're through on the, the side through the woods, <laughs> through the woods, and we're on the side of a mountain. So it's soft terrain, but it's down. It's straight like downhill on a mountain. So it's like it's soft, so you're not going to gain speed on the packed, the packed like there's no hard pack." You're on soft terrain. Yeah, yeah so, like, I mean, I'm just looking at it. I'm like, well, it's maybe possible. Yeah, yeah. Maybe possible. But I'm like, whatever. No big deal. So I'm walking back the run-up, and I'm looking. And, then, like, I see this tree, and there's, like, this piece of wood sticking out from behind a tree. So I'm like, what the hell is that? So I go look. There's a lawn tramp there. There's this little tiny lawn tramp that's like, stands three feet high. And, like... In
0: the middle of the woods.
2: This rickety-ass launch ramp, like three feet high. It's almost like an evil Caniva, like wedge ramp. Sure. Barely any tranny to it, just kind of like a wedge. Yeah. And I'm looking at it, and I'm like, that is bizarre. I'm like, I'm looking at this jump, and there's a lawn ramp right here. So I was like, huh, okay, well, let's go, Ruben. Like we were going to my friend Javier, uh, Javier Ortega, who's a good friend of mine from from Malaga, who used to ride for Fly Bikes and mm-hmm. Spanish legend. Um, we were going to his house because it was his birthday. And he has a house out there in the mountains. So Uh we were going to his birthday at his house and we go back to Malaga and like, we're just doing day-to-day stuff, just kind of cruising with Ruben, riding the park and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't get this thing out of my head. And I'm just kind of like, I know it'd probably be possible, but like there was a ramp there. I was like, Ruben, you have to talk to one of your friends to see like, did somebody try it before? Like, why was there a ramp there? So he calls a few of his friends, and he's like, "Yeah, some guy on like a, uh, tw- like a twenty-six inch dual suspension like mountain bike did it." But he looked it up on YouTube, and the guy like bike racks at first time goes over the bars, but pull like falls, but frontwards. clears the gap. Yeah. And then he pulls it the second time, and like barely pulls it, kind of sketchy. And he's like, "Yeah," and I was like, "Okay." So he did it on twenty-six inch. So that's why the ramp was there. So it made sense. Right. And I was just kind of like, well, it's interesting. That's interesting, like interesting turn of events, like, okay, so it's possible. And I knew it was possible anyway, but like just knowing like that, knowing that somebody did it, it already has like an already been done factor, but I was like, he did on a dual suspension mountain bike with like chest protector, full face, like it's a different animal altogether. Sure. And I was like, for me, BMX, like, I love riding BMX on, like, downhill tracks, mountain bike trails, because it just, you have different eyes. Like, you look at things differently, and you can still ride the same trails. Right. And I have just as much fun. And you need more skill to ride, because you have a smaller wheel, no suspension. Right. So it's a lot of skill of really figuring out, a lot of thought involved. So I said, Ruben, let's go back there tomorrow. Like, I think I want to jump that gap. So Ruben's like, really? You want to jump that gap? And I was like, yeah, I think I could do it. I think it'll work. And he's like, Okay. So
0: didn't even fight you on it.
2: (laughs) No, he kind of, he knows. He knows the deal. I mean, we all know the deal. Like Van, if Van says he wants to do something, support him. Because I'd rather be there when he does something Right. for if he, if something bad does happen, Mm -hmm. then if something, you know, if you, I always have full confidence in my friends, but without full confidence. I wanna be there to help them. Sure. I'd rather be there to help them than to know that they didn't have help. And um so we're we're like, okay, let's get the car together. Big Ed, who was a photographer for Dig back in the day, Ed Doherty, he came with us. Um and there was no intention on having video of it or anything. But Ruben's like, Hey, I'll bring I'll bring a camera, whatever, no big deal. And uh Ed comes with us and friend Sammy and uh friend Jesus meets us there. And we're just kind of, like, hanging out, cruising. We're driving, driving through the mountains. We get to the, the mountain pass, and it's blocked off. Like, they block the road off, so we're like, fuck. Yeah. So I'm like, well, I don't believe in bad omens. Like, if you're going to do something, you're going to do it, no matter what. If there's anything in front of you, you're just going to figure out a way to get past it. So we drive to the other side of the mountain. There's another roadblock. They're working on some... Uh, drill because there's a dam there so in case something happens on the, the dam so we had to sit and wait there for two and a half hours at that roadblock till they let the, the, load, the road be open Yeah. we wait for that roadblock we drive through the roadblock we get up the mountain, Ed starts puking out the window he gets car sick, so he's throwing up out the window and I'm just kind of laughing to myself because we're like okay we've already been through two roadblocks and he's getting sick out the window we get up to the exact road where we are. That's blocked off for they're cutting trees down. So we said, fuck it. We're parking the car. We parked the car there. We rode two miles up the mountain with shovels, camera bag, and our bikes. So mind you, like three three closed roads, car sickness.
0: Most people would have two, given up.
2: Two-mile ride. <laughs> To where if anything happens you're out there and the road's blocked like you're out there right so i'm just kind of like you know what whatever we'll make it work so we get up there and i'm like i'm not guaranteeing i'm gonna do it but i'm i think it's possible so i get up there we start cleaning everything out we clean the trail out like a quarter mile like up the side of the mountain i put the ramp there i kind of set it up and we're like you think the ramp's gonna hold me like for the speed that i'm gonna have to hit it at and I'm like, yeah, I think it'll be all right. And Ruben's like, oh, I don't know. And, and we're like, yeah, I think it'll be fine. So we clean off the whole pathway. And um, mm-hmm. I realized that I need to get more speed. So I had to like scale like this rock face that was like an extra 40 feet high that like you had to start rolling in on like these rocks mm-hmm. straight downhill to get speed to right. get down to this trail. Once you got to the base of that trail, the base of the rock face, you were going too fast to stop. So when you got to that place that was the place that was like you're committed okay here we go there's no stopping now right so I have everything set up I'm like okay I think that'll work this guy pulls up in a truck Mm -hmm. and he starts screaming at us he's like screaming like you guys have to get out of here this is and this is in Spanish I like my Spanish is like I'm getting bits and pieces of it but I can hear that it's it's pretty heavy what he's yelling at us thousand dollar fine you guys have to be out of here and um Ruben's like, he just said we're going to get a $1,000 fine for disturbing this, it's a protected land.
0: Oh, okay. And I'm
2: like, oh, shit. So Ruben said, hey, I talked to him. We have 15 minutes. We have 15 minutes to set up, do whatever you're going to do, make it look like we're never here, and get the hell out of here, or we get fines. So I was like, okay, here we go, boys. (laughs) And uh, I went up to the top and everybody got ready. And it was funny because like to this day, I think half the cameras we had didn't work. Like, we were just kind of like, just, it was more for the re, like I just wanted to do it. And Ed was gonna shoot a photo of it. So I had a photo of it.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um. And I got up on the rock and I can never forget like much with like anybody that does something like pretty big. You get up there, and you have that last breath, and you're just kind of like, okay, here we go. And, like, you just say to yourself, okay, pushing off, here we go. And uh, that was it. I pushed off, and that was as fast as I could go down that trail. I hit the ramp probably at, like, 40, 45 miles an hour for hitting a launch ramp going that fast. That is like, fast. It's Aren't really BMX bike? Yeah, it's really fast. I mean, the fastest I'd ever hit anything before that was probably 30, 35. Yeah. So, I mean, I'd hit something close to it.
1: And you're not but fine. to hit a
2: launch ramp that's five feet long, going that fast, it's like in a second, not even a second. It's a fraction of a second, and you're off. So, if you don't, like, I just hit it, and that was it. Next thing I knew, I landed. And I landed within three inches of the landing. So, literally... It was like jumping a dirt jump to where you catch perfect backside. Mm-hmm. I caught perfect backside. And I stopped and it was less, just like, I didn't feel anything at that moment. Like I didn't feel like like happy or sad or I was just kind of like, cool, it worked. Really? Yeah, because I mean it was just, I, I kind of thought it was going to work. Uh-huh. And it was just like, okay, it worked, awesome. And everybody else was just like their eyes were wide right open. And I'll never forget it because they were just kind of like, what the fuck just happened?
0: This <laughs> and it is was such a great example of your life from as I understand No, it was from so much
2: I've... and it was so much fun. Like right. I try to bring fun into all those right. it's not like okay, here we go. Right, right, right Usually whenever you see anybody getting mm-hmm. psyched up for something mm-hmm. that's like you know, like a big jump or any whatever mm-hmm. and they're getting psyched up and they're like punching themselves or something, right. that's a bad that's a bad sign. That's a very bad sign because if you have to get that pumped up to do something Right. And you're not confident and you're like, okay, here we go. And you're like slapping yourself in the face. It's like, okay, this is probably going to have a pretty bad end result. Like right. they're either going to like go way past it or way before it. Like right. it's just, it's, yeah, it's funny. And then we sat on that footage for like a year and a half, two years.
0: You're kidding.
2: Yeah, because we, I wasn't going to put it in anything. Cause I was like, I'm not going to just put it out for whatever. It was for me. So I had the photo, I had it in my phone and I would show my friends and be like, hey, look, look, and they'd be like, what the fuck? What is that? And then I would explain to them the story that I just told you. Right. And I mean, I told this story to a handful of people because it's sure. just for me, like, I love when there's a story behind, right. like, a situation or something that you do. Right. And, like, I just have so much fun explaining, like, how things work and how, like, your mindset in doing something. And I just love the fact that, like, we had that picture. And we we're like, oh cool. And then um, Dig said, Hey, we're talking we're thinking about doing this piece and, and I was like, Well, I have this thing. If you want it, you can use it and they were like they saw it and they're like, Okay, we could use this and cool, okay.
0: And that was for Stu's documentary?
2: Yeah, that was for it wasn't for it though, because we no, did no, that I'm, well. I'm sorry, that's Yeah, they, they just used, used it. it, yeah, they just used it for that. And, and that was the first time anyone saw it? it? Was for the documentary Yeah, yeah, that was the first time anybody saw it.
0: Yeah. and then they made the poster of it and all that. Yeah. Um which I brought with me by the way.
2: Yeah, and that, um, was years, that was years before the documentary came out. Yeah, and how
0: many... When was it? I think it was
2: a year and a half. It was uh, 2015 that I had done that. Okay. Yeah, and I think the documentary came out last year, 2017. Yeah, yeah so. last
0: year. Yeah. The, uh, to me, correct me if I'm wrong, but that situation almost sums up you in a nutshell because a lot of what I'm reading and learning about you is about you doing in mean, the whole documentary doing things your way on your terms, and you're not doing it for anyone else. So no. obviously the, the big question that comes up, which a bunch of people ask, how did you stick with T1 and turn down other lucrative offers, and in, in the documentary you, you explain it, it's because you do it for yourself.
2: Yeah, I do it for myself and I believe that family is really important and you take care of the people that take care of you. Mm-hmm. and. Joe and Taj with Terrible One and everybody that I've ridden with over my lifetime, I've been fortunate to be in great, great families. Like, I, I can't even call them sponsors because it's more or less like a family. Like, you're in that family. And it's really tough thing in this industry because you're always on a chopping block. And they're always looking for what you have coming out. And okay, you did all this great stuff in the past, but you need to constantly be moving forward and you constantly need to be putting things out that are relevant in the industry when that kind of molds somebody as a person where they're putting out things for the industry and not for themselves. So you need to almost have a perfect marriage of the industry and yourself put together to be able to put something out that you're confident and that you're proud of. And for me, I always felt good in the fact that the people that were backing me were never pressuring me to put things out. They knew that I had an idea of what I wanted to do and a big picture of what I wanted to do on my bicycle. And they trusted me. And there was a trust in that. And there might might have been some skeptics, and there should have well been, because there was definitely some times where I was like, fuck, I don't feel like doing anything. I feel like surfing. I feel like being barefoot and eating and walking around and I don't feel like riding today so I'm not going to ride and I definitely did some things that I regret in the fact that getting flown to a contest or having to show up for something and just not showing up because I didn't feel it and I was like you know what I'm not going to be doing it for the reason that I want to do it Mm -hmm. so it'd be forced so I'm just not going to go I don't regret not going and not doing it but I regret the communication aspect of it and not right. explaining myself to the people that were involved in the industry side saying, Hey, this is the, the reason I do things and this is the reason I'm not going to show up. Okay. You flew me to Europe, but I'm not showing up at this event because I'm dealing with something and I'm not going to be in a good place and I'm not going to put on a good show for your product And the end result is you're going to get negative publicity because I'm going to fucking freak out and break my bike or do something. I used to throw my bike all the time when I was a kid, Mm -hmm. and I never understood what that stemmed from, the frustration of literally just destroying my bike, like bend the rims, throw it. I was like professional ghost rider. Like to this day, I think I have like, I think I'm up there. I got, I got a few records in ghost riding. And uh, all my ghost rides were 100% intentional. And um, it was all stemming from the frustration of I wanted to work at this level. Mm -hmm. And this level was achievable on 75% of the days that I rode. And I was expecting 100%. I wanted 100% every single day. Mm -hmm. So I would go do the same stuff at the skate park. You can talk to Doyle. You can talk to all the guys that... They, Doyle used to go to the trails and he would do all his best tricks every single day and make sure he had those every single day So he wasn't losing at it. That's why he's so good because he would do it every day He would make sure he had everything work and he's like, okay My, my repertoire is perfectly intact. Everything works. Yeah. So I was like, okay, like that's that's what I would do, too It's okay. I try to do whatever at the skate park. I freak out. Yeah, I bend my bars break my wheels but that would that stem from the frustration of not understanding that you can't achieve that 100 percent across a long span of time. You can achieve that 100 uh, percent that hundred 100 percent for that particular day. Mm-hmm. But some days I don't feel like riding. If I force myself to ride, that goal is going to be way lower than the day that I really want to ride with my friends. I always expected to go on a level plane. So I always wanted that same mm-hmm. outcome. And when I didn't get it, I freak out. And I wasn't upset, but I would just vent myself by destroying my bike.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And the sponsors were like, okay, we sent you five pairs of bars in the last two months. What the hell is going on here? <laughs> like, it's, you're, we know you're rough on bikes, but this is ridiculous. Like,
0: right.
2: and that, that's what it was from. And I realized that now getting older, I look back on it. That's what it was from. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. You live and learn. (laughs)
0: But Joe and Taj got it. They understood it.
2: Yeah. yeah. So why leave leave a
0: situation that is... It was a family. They understood
2: me. They understood me. And they understood the fact that I was going to do what I wanted to do when I wanted to do it. Mm -hmm. And I was going to have riding woven into that. Mm -hmm. And it would be... If it was on my, my terms, and for me, most of the time it was, fortunately... It was a, a good outcome, and mm-hmm. I was happy doing it, and that presented itself to the public or whoever I was around as positive riding, like, he's having a good time, he's having, you know, this is great, this is such a good thing for him. Mm-hmm. So, luckily it worked out, but all my sponsors, like, John Povett, Etni, same thing, and I, I rode for, like, tons of people over the years that it was, like, Duff Shoes, like, I rode for them for a while, they had a team for, like, two or three years, which was, like, crazy cause that 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 team was really fun cuz it was really eclectic a really eclectic team yeah and um we had we had months that would go by where i would just get random paychecks and they were like oh for the cover of this month and i was like well i'd gotten that cover but that was 2 months ago and you guys already paid me for it and no. they're like oh just keep it okay so they're sending me like thousands of dollars for like just random stuff and they're like, Oh, just keep it. And I'm like, I wonder why this company's going bankrupt. Right, oh right. this is why. Right. It's it's understandable.
0: Yeah. How long ago did uh you still ride for T one obviously. Yeah,
2: um, yeah. Yeah, ride for T one.
0: when did it when did it come down to is it just T one now? Or is it at any still Yeah, no, I
2: mean I I I just I try to promote the brands that I believe in. Right. So if I'm not getting a paycheck, mm-hmm. I don't care. Right. Like Rick. this week, Profile gave me some hubs, mm-hmm. and Profile, I've ridden Profile hubs for the last like ten, twelve years, and eight of those years with this was the same hub, and that's a reason I ride their hubs is because they have great hubs. Like yeah. I love their hubs, and I've always like had a really good relationship with Copeland, mm-hmm. Matt Copeland that that runs Profile, and like, I've.
0: He seems like a guy that would understand, or no, does understand you. He's a, he's a you, great guy. Yeah. And,
2: and, and honestly, I don't want to be tied down with sponsorships having to do stuff. Right. And I'm old. Give a young kid a chance. That's that's what they, sure. the young younger kids, that's, that's the bike riding coming up. Right. And those are the generations, like, we need to support them because they're the ones that are going right. to really bring the industry to where it is.
0: It sounds like you have, uh, at, at your age, almost have an understanding like Brian Foster would have with... With fit, you know, and merit, you know, it's, you know, I'm doing my own thing. I'm making a living or, well, he's about to, you know, when he graduates, but it's, uh, it's kind of that type of relationship of just be yourself and, and we'll still work together. Yeah. Because I don't know his exact story, but I can only assume it's something like that.
2: Yeah. No, I I mean, that's, I believe in the companies that I push and Mm -hmm. animal Ralph Sinesi at animal Mm -hmm. same thing. They made T1 tires two years ago. Me and Ralph talked. um, Run a bunch of animal parts over the years. Always had a high respect for Ralph because he's... I've been friends with him for a really, really long time, since Uh I was like 16 years old. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I've known him for a really long time. Right. And you support your friends. Right. T1, same thing. Etnies, John Pova, same thing. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, at the same time, Vance... Vans is putting on these contests. Mm -hmm. I respect them too. They're putting so much into the industry that, like, how can you not respect that? It's awesome.
1: Yeah, Yeah, and we're in
2: such a such a great time in bike riding because Mm -hmm. there isn't a ton to get out of it. Right, there's so much to put into it, and that's such a special thing.
0: I think it's well. Obviously, it's because of the generation that we're, or the combination of generations that we're at, because there's so many people that are in their 30s and 40s that are working with the. The teens and the twenties, you know, it's you got you got a lot of history working with the new, and the in between, so it's it's a pretty cool mess right now.
2: Yeah, so yeah, think. and honestly, like you see people that come back into it that have been out of it for a long time, and me. yeah, and I mean you get to learn all this stuff that happened, and then you get to see all this stuff in the future of what's possible, and there the sky's the limit in the future because now people are recognizing. That this is something that's here to stay and even if the industry is in a slump and we're not selling tons of bikes where people aren't like out buying bikes and kids are on their phones or doing whatever else, there is that core community that will hold it together and it will will surpass anything, any obstacle Mm -hmm. and that's just – that's a given. That's always happened. It's happened time and time again and it will always happen. I mean it will always be here. Mm-hmm. And that's a, that's a great, great piece of uh, of BMX yeah. history because it's gonna happen. There's peaks and valleys, and we're in a bit of a valley right now. I mean, mm-hmm. on the high side, there's a lot of recognition.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: It's probably more popular than it's ever been, but at the same time, the bike industry, like, it's just it's a a weird thing where people put stuff out, and it's just. It's almost like there's not a a lot of refinement. They're just like like just putting things out there and I love refinement because I love like Articulating exactly each piece of the puzzle because every person is Three-dimensional and I hate seeing a one-dimensional person to where you just look at him and you're like, okay This kid just rides all the time. I know this kid doesn't just ride. He has a life. He does other stuff I want to know that I want to read an interview and I want to know, you know, his triumphs, his adversities, like what he's been through, his family life. I want to know all that because mm-hmm. that leads to that person. That's it's, why he is the way he is.
0: That's why I love doing these and I love doing them long form because... For, you get to, to be dig honest, deep. With me, I could as, as deep as you want to go, but I always hope for that.
2: I've talked for hours and hours about this because it's a passion. So I can yeah. just keep going. I
0: think you get so much more out of it, you really get to know yep. each other and you get that comfort level It's got to be face to face though, because I want this connection because it brings out so much, yeah good, bad, everything that everyone can use to put together something that may make sense to them that may help them
2: and that's why I brought you here today because this is Maddie, a friend of mine mm-hmm. for for life we've been friends, you know we met in Australia in mm-hmm. First time, probably 99, 2000, something like that. Okay. And he's ridden BMX his whole life, but he started this bike company out of a passion for it, sure. rides BMX, rides his long haul bikes, cross bikes. And we like, we have a similar, similar outlook on things. Sure. And we all have the same passions. Mm-hmm. So I was like, you know what? I'll bring you here because yeah. this is what I'm about. This is it. There's mm-hmm. surfboards everywhere, motorcycles, bicycles, everything. Right. But that being said, yes, can I take a piss? Yeah, yeah, my... go for it.
0: Uh, sometimes I, I'm, I'm not gonna edit much yeah. on this one. Yeah, but he's so well spoken and, and understandable that there's there's not gonna be anything to <laughs> It's just that smooth, and obviously he's been through this before, so it's.
2: <laughs>
0: we left off on we left off on sponsors for the most part, right?
2: yeah yeah so so. I mean I've ridden for terrible one um Robbie Robbie Morales pretty much hooked me up through terrible one when I was like 19 Mm
1: -hmm.
2: and um that's when the team was just starting and I wasn't a part of the original team but um it was it was really cool because Joe, Taj, Robbie all those guys and Paul I mean Paul you can't forget Paul
0: (laughs) right Um, you can and we're talking
2: yeah yeah Yeah. can never forget Paul no (laughs) for good reason now. yeah and um More or less, they had this belief that they came up through the industry. Joe rode for Standard and um, Taj rode for Hoffman. And they had a belief in if you're going to ride for a company, you really need to be supported by that company. And they wouldn't even say they were sponsoring me in the beginning because they didn't believe that they could do enough for me. To warrant a sponsorship, they didn't want to take anything from me, unless they could give me back more than what you know. They they wanted to give, they wanted to give to me, and they knew it wasn't possible because they were just starting their company. And the company got on the feet, their feet, and they they finally asked me to ride for them, and I was over the moon because I looked up to Taj so much, and I had become best friends with. With, uh, with Robbie over the years,
1: mm-hmm. being
2: here and East Coast riding trails with him, always being around, and he had helped me out with so many things. He's such a huge part of BMX as a whole for the last, the last uh, thirty years. I mean, he's oh, sure. been in it. He's been in forever. And he, you talk to him, he has such a grasp on the industry. But um, they decided to to put me on a team, and in that. They said, we're going to put you on the team. Um, we want to do health insurance. We want to pay you enough so you can pay for your health insurance. Wow. We want to pay f- for, be able to pay for enough to where you can live doing this. And they paid me out of their pocket in the beginning. They, the company wasn't making enough to, to pay me what they were paying me. And they paid me themselves wow. because they believed in me mm-hmm. and they believed in what I was doing. And It was the total flip for me. I believe in what they were doing I wanted to be part of a family that was so tight that where if you said hey I want this or I want that or this is what I believe in they take it into consideration And they're like, let's let's do this Let's do it and that was such a huge part of my life as a whole in that that time because I was 19 I went to college for two days after high school.
0: Two days?
2: That's, two days. That's,
0: I think that's the shortest stint the shortest stint I've ever heard of. And
2: it's so crazy, because to this day I have a passion for writing, but I'm horrible at it, and mm-hmm. I don't write at all. So for me, for my passion for writing, I just flip it into story time. I right, just tell right, stories.
1: Right. <laughs> yeah, right, but right. for
2: me to translate this, right. my best way of translating it, like, Rob Delecki will be like, Hey, I want to write this thing. Could you write it for me? Uh-huh. And I was like, You know what? Let's just meet up and I'll just talk into your phone because right. that's the easiest way for me. Yeah, yeah, and right. I trust him to, sure. to relay it. Sure. But um, I went to this writing class, and the writing teacher was like, um, Okay, you have to fold your paper this way, and we're doing this and this setup. And I folded my paper the wrong way. And he's like, Listen, if you're going to get anywhere in this life, your first priority is listening to directions. And doing things the right way you're not going anywhere with this and I was like fuck this I said forget it I'm done and I didn't tell my parents for another two weeks so they lost well I lost right both of us lost the money right. that we paid to get into Scott College the books were never unwrapped I never right. did anything having to do with school because I was just like you know what this isn't me I'm just mm-hmm. forcing it and um, luckily That next, it was probably that next month, two months, Mm -hmm. um, Schwinn XS at the time put me on their team and I signed a deal with them Mm -hmm. for parts. Um, Duffs put me on their team. I signed a deal with them Mm -hmm. for shoes and terrible ones soon after, soon after that. So it was enough for me to get by, money-wise. Mm-hmm. And I was actually doing decent then, because, I mean, all I had was a cell phone bill. I was 19. Sure. Right. So for me, I was like, holy cow, this is great. Like, I'm getting paid, like, at the time, it was uh, probably $2,000 a month or something. Uh-huh. For That was a lot of money back then. Yeah. Who, right. $500 a week when you're 19, you, you're not making that, even working construction. Oh, I know. 99, you know? Right. So, uh, I... I just really decided, okay, this is it. This is what I want to do. And then Little Devil was like, hey, we have this trip coming up. Um, They want to fly you to France to do this, uh, you know, to do a promotion thing. More or less, you just hang out in France. Uh So I was like, okay, me and Van and Derek went to France. Uh And it was awesome. Had so much fun. Mm -hmm. And to rewind real quick, I remember where I left off there. But when I was 15, my aunt and uncle asked me to go on this trip. Uh, that was a super pivotal point in my life Um, a two week trip around the British Virgin Islands on a sailboat and we lived on the sailboat for two weeks and that was a huge part of my it was like a, a birth of my sense of adventure and I just always wanted to have that sense of adventure we were on the boat and we could jump on the dinghy and just me and my cousin would just go, he was the same age as me, cousin Colton, and we would just go to a random island and take the dinghy to an island and snorkel and just hunt around the island, Nice. go back to the boat, sleep at different place the next night, go hunt out some other islands, always searching for stuff, looking around. And that was the beginning of me wanting to like, okay, there's more out there than what's right around me. I really want to get out there and see everything right like I want to see it all and uh from then on I just had this like I just wanted to be out I wanted to really kind of search my parents were always really good in taking me and bringing me to places that were like okay go ahead go and freedom just letting me go
0: that's good parenting it was awesome yeah
2: it's awesome I mean looking back they did the best with the tools that they had Mm -hmm. I mean they had they had their their issues growing up and Mm -hmm. everybody does sure and they did the best with what they had and I couldn't I couldn't yeah I would not change anything in my in my childhood right but that's where my sense of adventure came from to get back to Little Devil and going to France for the first time I was just like wow this is really cool like this is this is what I want to do I want to really explore and get out and see things
0: experienced cultures and
2: yeah and i mean that's where it all started mm-hmm. i was like okay like we're thinking about doing this trip mm-hmm. um what do you think and i'm like
1: uh,
2: okay and they're like hey we're doing this trip we're going to you know what there's a contest there's a dk dk dirt circuit in uh, florida mm-hmm. but the same weekend there's a contest in france in south of france and well whichever one you want to go to you can go to And I'm like, well, let's see here. (laughs) For me, I always chose Europe. I chose Australia. I chose wherever I could get the farthest away from where I started. Because I knew that wasn't going to always be. I wasn't always going to be able to do that. Right. In my head, I thought I was going to always be able to do that.
1: Sure.
2: So I said, might as well get out and try to do it. So I kept doing that. I kept building relationships. That's where me and Maddie met. We met in Australia. Right. So... He came here, I go there, we back and forth all the time, and it was great. Friends in New Zealand. We have this family, this worldwide family, that it's just it just needs to be tapped into. Mm-hmm. And it's so easy to tap into it, but it's just knowing that it's possible. And I'm here to let you know it's possible. Buy a plane ticket, go to one of these European contests, go to a European jam, go to somewhere just off the beaten path where you know there's a few riders, you will build a relationship that will be lifelong and you will have the time of your life and it will never end. And you just need to do it. Just go out, book a ticket, and just go. Don't be afraid of where am I gonna stay, it always works out. That's the biggest thing I learned over the years Mm -hmm. with traveling with Joe and Ruben and anybody I've ever traveled with, with uh, Brian Wismerski and Van, We've always just, okay, if we're going to make this thing, we're going to make it happen. Everything will work out. It always works out. Sometimes you might have to sleep on a bench, you might have to sleep under the car, mm-hmm. in the car. There might be a sacrifice along the way, it might be a broken down car, broken bikes, stolen bikes, whatever. It mm-hmm. always works out and you always have the time of your life. And the worse that it gets, the better that it gets. 'Cause usually the worse that it gets, the more people step up to help you and the mm-hmm. better friends you make. It's really, really we're we're so fortunate to be in this uh this arena of, of BMX where everybody's just like constantly evolving and like, Hey, come come here, do this, I'm doing this, you guys go here, let's do this. And everybody's always, you know, mixing and matching and exchanging things and yeah sorry yeah, i'll go yeah, i'll no, go off no, of on tangents all day but that's i would always just try to travel as much as possible i'm
0: taking it, i'm taking it all in just because i'm not saying <laughs> anything. it is because i'm processing what you're saying and and I, I i'm glad you say that because so many unfortunately so many kids in society uh don't give themselves that opportunity if for and it's whatever fear it's reason. fear
2: based it's a lot of yeah. it's fear based because it's driven into you from a young age that okay um we're going to go to this all inclusive resort we mm-hmm. we're going to go here everything has to be set up everything mm-hmm. like right. has to be perfect this vacation has to be planned out there has to be the clipboard of fun from you know from uh, national lampoons vacation <laughs> the clipboard of fun like right. everything has to be checked it's right. you know you know what i don't want to do this this day forget it slash right. it off we'll right. just stay here an extra day or we'll go here an extra day we'll do this so, and it's always it's... the it's always the journey, not the destination. Because right. a destination, you get there and you're like, okay, I'm here. Right. But the journey, like there's endless stories from the journey. Oh, that's so true.
0: That's so true. I don't think I'll have much trouble with my son experiencing that because he's he's got the confidence and he it's somewhat of a parallel. It's through surfing. Yeah. It's there is there is a pretty strong parallel, I think, between biking and BMX and, and surfing. Um but he's, he's explored areas that most people haven't and had to do it with some confidence. So I hope he does a lot of that after he gets out of high school. And, and you know, there's plenty of time if he chooses to settle down. And Yeah. Even if he, even if he does settle down, you can still do it. That's the other thing is even at – I've got 10 years on you, but um, even, even at my age, I can still do – whatever I want to do. Yeah. You know, my wife can do whatever she wants to do. I mean, we can do it together. We can do it separate. Yeah.
2: Doesn't and you I? have to understand that there's a point where you need to realize that there is sacrifice in that. Mm-hmm. There is, there's always a sacrifice mm-hmm. and it to do exactly what you're going to, what you want to do. There might be some sort of sacrifice in that and maybe yeah. not sacrificing your ideals, but sacrificing a comfort or sacrificing you know, maybe the new car you wanted to get. Right. My car had problems two days ago, yeah. and I took it into the garage. And I was like, "You know what? If the number's over this, I'll just buy another car. I'll right. just buy a new car because mm-hmm. it was at the Volvo dealership, and they're so tasty. The new Volvos. Oh my yeah. god. <laughs> but uh, you know, the number came in under under spec, yeah, 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 and yeah. I wouldn't have bought a new one anyway. I was right. buying something used that right. like I could afford. Yeah, yeah. But at the end, end, end of, you know, that I was like, okay, here's the deal. I want to travel here, I want to do this, I want to do that. There has to be sacrifice. If I'm driving a car that's a 2005 or an 85 or 1972, that's just the way it is. There's right. a sacrifice in it, but right. I get to go to do all this stuff. So many people ask me, how do you get to do this? How do you get to go to last year I went to Europe twice, I went to Russia, like I was all over the place, I went to California. And they're like, "How do you get to do all that?" And I was like, "Well, it doesn't really come that easy." Like Right. It's easy enough to book a ticket, but then you have to be, okay, I booked a ticket six months from now. Each month, I'm going to put $200 away. For that six months, I'll have $1,200 for that trip, and that will pay for everything in that trip. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you have to put a little bit more to cover that week of missed work or two weeks of missed work, mm-hmm. or you change your lifestyle, change your lifestyle a little bit. Sure. But there's always that version of doing it. I try not to tell too many people this, but I use credit cards quite a bit. Mm -hmm. And I'm willing to work my ass off. I'll put $20,000 in my credit cards over two or three years, but I work my ass off and I pay them off. Mm -hmm. And it sucks that I have to pay interest for a year or whatever, six months, whatever it is.
0: That's the sacrifice. That's the sacrifice. It's a
2: sacrifice. You're paying that. Mm -hmm. And what you get, sometimes what you find out ahead of time, if you go on that trip and you experience something, it makes you live different in the future so that sacrifice ends up being so minimal because it's not something you would want anyway
1: mm-hmm.
2: you go to Africa I'll guarantee you come back with a different outlook and like okay you know what I don't need to go out to eat five days a week no. or I don't need to buy a new car I don't need no. to do this so that two or three hundred dollars a month you weren't going to spend anyway because you went on that trip and it taught you something that like hey i don't need that right so you can just put that into something else and Mm -hmm. make something you know make a fund for yourself to go travel and
0: right yeah yeah so it's not a perfect scenario but you still get to where you want to get yeah you want to get to and and draw more out of it than that that credit card bill is ever worth you know it's oh
2: by far yeah by far
0: I'm gonna I'm gonna bring you bring you into a Hallahan uh, little segment here because well first of all we watched uh, coming down together at their house when I was out visiting them and did their podcast we're watching your documentary just you had said something I can't pin I can't remember I can't pinpoint exactly what it was but it was essentially in a nutshell talking about living the way you want to live and doing things for yourself and and just living life to the fullest and Mike Callahan all of a sudden just yells out, fuck yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: it was so awesome because Mike, Mike and Jen get it. Yeah. You know, they, they get it. And, and the boys obviously love you and, and under, under your influence through, through dig that, uh, the first episode of that was you, right? That was the first one. Yeah. Second one was Steve Crandall. It was so much fun to watch and, I'm sure you enjoyed that day as well. Noah was part of it, right?
2: Yeah, and there was a lot of stuff that didn't go into that, mm-hmm. into what you guys saw sure. on the um, on the film. I actually took them to a lot of places where I grew up, and I took them out on the boat, and we went to... Uh, oh, nice. We anchored, and we went over this island, and we went swimming at the ocean. Like, we were we we did a lot of the stuff I did when I was a kid because mm-hmm. I was brought up around boats I was brought up always being at the beach always exploring like I was always out and about doing something
1: right and
2: right. I did that the whole time with them mm-hmm. so I brought them along for kind of like a trip down memory lane of what I always used to do right and the kids loved it because I knew they would because they were exactly they're exactly how I was at their age yeah so they just they, they got it yeah and I just talked to Mike the other day and we were just talking about um, the future mm-hmm. of just kids in general like just the future of you know where kids their their directives as yeah. they get older and we were just saying that it's kind of crazy that there aren't trade schools for kids that are 12, 13, 14, 15 years old to where they can learn a trade where there's soccer there's all these other things that, that exist but there's not if they're interested in carpentry or plumbing or something like that, yeah, there's no, there's no like uh, schooling for them. Right. So he's like, oh, I just want to make sure that the boys, when they get old enough, they're not out on their butts after, you know. Especially okay, homeschooling. Now what do I do? Yeah. So I mean, I I gave him my best words of advice was teach the kids how to weld. Like somebody like Clint Reynolds, mm-hmm. he is an unbelievable welder. All my friends that are really good welders. I have a friend uh, Milo who lives Mike Maloney. He lives just north of here. Defcon on Instagram. Oh
0: heck yeah, yeah! And he
2: is a meticulous oh, welder. Great Jay Lonogram. Amazing welder. Yeah, for industrial. All the race. boys out in Bethlehem. A mm-hmm. lot of them are boilmakers. Amazing welders. Mm-hmm. If you're a really good welder, usually you'll have a job anywhere. Mm-hmm. So for that, you can teach somebody to weld when they're younger, and it's something they can grow into.
1: Mm-hmm. So
2: I think that's the easiest thing to just say, "Hey, get a welder. Teach the kids how to weld. Teach them safety." They could show them how to weld things together. They can start making structures or whatever they want to do. Right. But it's like, for me, heavy equipment, it's not so easy. It's not. It's tough to get a 13-year-old and a piece of heavy equipment. Right, You can just right. rent one, put them out in the field for a day. They'll, they'll learn it. Right. They'll learn it probably better, faster than we do. Right. But it's really right. hard to get kids into that position to mm-hmm. where they're like, hey, this is something that maybe I'm interested in. Mm-hmm. Because I have friends that went to four-year colleges. They have $100,000 in debt. And their labors, right? So, right. if you can skip that, use that four years, that hundred thousand dollars in debt. Say it's twenty thousand dollars in debt, and you traveled around the world for a year or two, and then you realize what you want to do. Right. Maybe it's going to school. Yeah. You only have another twenty grand to pay into your school school loan or whatever. Sure. Figure out what you really want to do before yeah. you choose your path. Right. And that's constantly going to be evolving. Like for me, I came out of 25 from from riding professionally and I was still fortunately I was fortunate. I was still getting paychecks riding while I was working in the construction industry.
0: When did you get into construction? You said at 20, 25? 25. 2025. 25. Okay. So I
2: was still riding professionally and doing yeah, yeah. that simultaneously, doing it at the kind same of time. Still doing Yeah, I still do it, but I mean whatever. I don't do it for money. Like mm-hmm. I ride just for me I understand. and I don't need I don't need the money from it, which makes me even happier because right. then I can support right. and I can use that money to support all the people that I yeah. want to see grow in the industry. Oh, which is awesome. So I'm fortunate in that. Yeah. And I want to see more people in that. Right, right. So it's, yeah. So we were talking about that long, short as we were sure. talking about that, like getting your kid and showing them, hey, there's different paths. It's not just college. Right. There's going to be as much work in the trades in the next 20 years as right. there is in anything. That's
0: the direction I'm pushing my son. Yeah. Uh, and that's HVAC, or which is what he's working in now part time, or maybe he finds something else. But I, you know, he, he doesn't want to go to college, and that's okay.
2: And it's not the end of the world if you work in an industry for four or five years, mm-hmm. and then you look at Brian Foster. Sure. Physical therapy. Right. He's in his forties. Right. He's going to be finishing as a physical therapist. Right. There's right. not many people that can do that. But Mm -hmm. his mindset and his goals, the way he's goal oriented, he could be sixty and he could do that. Right. Could be seventy, he could do that. Right. He wants to do it, he's gonna do it. Yeah. Brian Foster can do anything. Mm -hmm. Much of anybody that does what we do, they can do anything. Anybody can do anything. Right. But we just understand that to get from point A to point B is not usually possible. Right. And we usually try to make it possible. Sure.
0: (laughs) Sure, absolutely hope a lot of people hear this and understand it especially in the younger on the younger side or maybe parents of of uh you know kids that are in the midst of of the confusion of life of deciding yeah, or what even somebody to that's 20
2: years old that just is like hey i'm just here doing dead what end. i do and or they feel I'm it's sh- a dead end yeah and i mean just i mean you always have to work that's just it like there's always hmm. always work i worked from when i was like 12 years old i always had a job i was always working Right. I was working at a pizza place I was working doing demolition on the my my cousin's uh, construction company mm-hmm. I was always doing something So I always realized that like I had to work to gain something So there's always work in it To be a professional bike rider There's so much work It doesn't seem like work because you're having fun the whole time But it's constant work You're constantly working towards something
1: mm-hmm. So put
2: in the work And you'll always get the benefits of the end result And right. just choose exactly what you want to do and it won't feel like work.
0: That's right. That's right. It's true. There is a there is that cliche about it that it's 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 not it's not work if you enjoy it.
2: No, no, it's yeah. I'm
0: gonna throw in a couple of questions from the kids yeah, because no, they, go ahead. they they I feel like I'm some... rambling,
2: but I could You're ramble not. I could ramble for days. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> I'm just
0: gonna work in a couple of questions because um, you you have lots of them. You had eight pages of them. <laughs> people, people, uh, people really appreciate you. And that became extremely clear as soon as I posted that I was going to spend time with you so Now that means a lot. We'll start with Lucas. He wanted to know if you had to recommend a second language, what would it be?
2: Oh I would say Spanish just because it'd be easiest to kind of get around in the in the United States. Because Mm -hmm. right now, I use Spanish at work a decent amount because I work with, I'm actually working with Portuguese right now, which is funny because I'm the only English speaker on my crew. Really? But I'm trying to learn Portuguese because I have a lot of good Portuguese friends also Mm -hmm. that live in Portugal. So I've been back and forth, Portugal and back and forth from Spain. Right. But I would say Spanish right now is probably a really good language to learn Mm -hmm. for... Um, being in the U.S., because you can use that a lot. Right. Because Spanish is everywhere here. Right. But French is a huge language, too. French is like the international business, business language, mm-hmm. so French is awesome to learn, too. That's a great language.
0: Got it. Yeah. Uh, Nathan wants to know, how in the heck did you... <laughs> this is funny. How in the heck did, you, did, did your knuckles survive the sled bomb across our driveway?
2: Oh, my God that was hilarious we <laughs> were, spent a day at their their house over the winter uh-huh. Uh me and Rusty from Australia oh yeah and and I think Maddie was there JB was there yeah it was like a little crew it was uh-huh. super fun yeah but uh, we had so much fun and we like
0: is this from their porch down yeah, across the lawn? And yeah I saw the a little
2: blue sled and I was yeah. like I just hopped on it <laughs> and I was like oh this thing would be pretty fun yeah little did i know it was gonna go full throttle down the yard across the driveway which had no snow on it right. and then jump the other side of the driveway down the hill
0: into bushes right? into the
2: bushes <laughs> and i just was like holy shit did that just happen <laughs> and then of course everybody's like well you got to do it again because we have to film it and i'm right. like Fuck it. okay why not <laughs> yeah i think my friend jb has footage of it i'll try to get it and and yeah. post it or something. It's pretty funny. Like, yeah, yeah I love situations like that.
1: Yeah.
2: Because I've been in so many in my lifetime that, like, I'm really, really fortunate that things didn't go worse. Right. Because we pushed it to the edge. Right. A lot. Like, to the point of, like, wow, that could have been really, really bad.
0: Even on a sled.
2: On anything. <laughs> anything with four wheels, two wheels, no wheels. Like, anything. Yeah.
0: Man. Shane wants to know, first he wants to say, tell Noah, hey, what's up, and come over and ride our trails and shoot some bow and arrows, and does he play soccer and baseball too?
2: He does all of that, Shane. You guys are like uh, long-lost brothers, <laughs> and uh, we will be over at some point this summer for sure. I I guarantee it, because Noah is, uh, he's chomping at the bit. He wants to come hang out with you guys at your, your house.
0: Awesome. Uh, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. I just wanted to slip in real quick. Uh, what footage defines you in the eyes of the BMX fans? So if you were looking from the outside in, what footage do you think people feel defines you? And then I'm going to reverse it and say, what do you feel, what footage defines you in your opinion?
2: Um, I would say the footage out there that defines me the most um, is probably you get what you get the T1 world tour video mm-hmm. that's most likely Joe knows me mm-hmm. um, knows me probably better than anyone and um, he has a knack of capturing a feeling when he capturing a feeling and putting on a film and uh, that whole trip was nine months nonstop stop around the world we hit 20 something countries in 9 months and around the world like unreal like wow. that was a life changing experience mm-hmm. but the whole time we all filmed and shot photos of each other mm-hmm. and then made the video out of it so that captures on a day to day what we actually are what we do and what, what makes us who we are
0: so that's what you feel defines you in your opinion right yeah. Do you think uh some people that may not know you as well uh and maybe haven't dug in deeper? Do you think there's there's some videos that that define you uh well, for instance, seek and destroy or because of that that uh roof drop. You know, that that one seems to come up a lot. Uh or do you think people have really identified with that T1? video?
2: Um, I think people might have identified my riding through videos and stuff but nobody's never, they've never actually experienced me for who I am Mm -hmm. unless you meet me face to face Mm -hmm. because that's who I am and that's how I am and that's how BMX used to be, there was an Instagram, you would make a video and then you would tour and that's how you met people and that's how people were interested in what you're doing, your brand or whatever it is, you know, mm-hmm. T1 or anything. Right. You would tour and you would meet people face to face and you would have a conversation and actually build build friendships. Mm-hmm. And that's really what T1 is based on and a lot of the companies I ride for are based on friendships because mm-hmm. a lot of it's friendships between the people that support it. I can't tell you how many people like I talk to that are like hey got your frame and and it's I try to talk to all of them because it's like that's that's really cool it's awesome you support us and what we do and we love to support you and what you do mm-hmm so it's that's I think that's there's never been a video that's captured me as a person because you can't capture me as a person unless you're here talking to me or see me in person
0: hey it's almost going back to that one dimensional versus three-dimensional yeah
2: well that's it you see somebody on a video, and that's who they are in that particular day. And it's them getting from point A to point B in an obstacle or doing whatever.
0: And it may be on the 10th try.
2: But you get no personality <laughs> from that. You might see them right, throw right. their bikes. Oh, that guy's pissed off. He throws his bikes. He breaks the bike. Sure. But he's not really that person. Yeah. It's just who he was in that particular second. Right. So it captures a moment. It's like a photograph. It captures a moment of something. But you can't. you can only make up stories of what that moment is. Right. Because you can't really know unless you're in that moment in person.
0: I love that answer because there's so much talk about about footage. That that's what brought me to that question, and and you just gave me an answer that was completely different than what I expected, and I like it. Of course, at this point in the interview, I should have expected it, but <laughs> but I, I like that answer. I really do because I think I think videos are are definitely. A glimpse into you but it's really the skill part you know not the person person so I, I like that a lot are you better than uh, Russ Barone or uh, Paul Sivkovich? that's more of a joke but you surf no. with those guys right?
2: Yeah No, I've surfed with them a, a few times now I think what <laughs> the better you are at surfing the worse you are at surfing the better <laughs> you think you are the more you realize you have so much to learn that's <laughs> just the way it is it is humbling, isn't it? Because, because every time right conditions are always different.-hmm use different boards all the time. It's just the way it is.
0: Nothing like riding trails. No, that's for sure.
2: No, it's, I would say it's it's probably the closest to like personal relationships, mm-hmm. because it's like you're always dealing with something that you never expected. You meet somebody on the street like wow this is just something i never expected or this is that and some it's always changing it's always evolving right it's the ocean it's liquid it always changes yeah it's not like we're riding and it's okay there's a ramp there it doesn't change right it's liquid it always changes so it's like That's, i don't know it's a it's a good lesson because it's like we should be more liquid yeah. in our lives we try to stay so stable on so many things mm-hmm. and like we should be more liquid and Try to make things
0: flow a little easier, you know? I was just going to say, go with the flow of, of whatever the whatever the water's giving you. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, that's for sure. That concludes part one of the Garrett Burns podcast. Really looking forward to posting part two next week. So I hope you enjoyed that. And I want to send out a special thanks to Maddie of Crust Bikes in Belmar, New Jersey. Look him up he uh he does some really cool stuff has some some really cool bikes for long distance travel and it was pretty cool to check out his stuff and uh, I thank you for your space and time there, Maddie. So look forward to next week. We'll see you soon.